Hello, everyone. Welcome to this podcast. Speaking with Keith and Charlotte. <laughs> Is that a real good name? Okay,、right. so first of all, we shall start from a, a brief self-introduction about me and kids.、Uh, you can call me Charlotte, and I got a, a master degree from Beijing Foreign Studies University in British and American Literature, and a PhD in British Literature from Kyoto University, Japan. So my background is mainly in foreign studies,、uh, foreign language study. And I have been a teacher myself, teaching like TOEFL test as well as college English, as well as literature introductory courses to literature for English majors for many years. And I, I start doing this podcast mainly with one idea, because I know that my students are all eager to learn English really well. Well, what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is they can speak English fluently. But it's very hard with like the kind of well we don't want to mention that but the censorship in 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 China you can't use YouTube you can't use Netflix and one of the reason I one of the things I I I found out is that you know like European students they learn English very easily and they learn it very well one of the important reasons in my opinion is that they can actually join in this globalization. Uh, same, so they are using basically the same thing, same apps, serving the same internet as English-speaking countries. And in this process, if you do that long enough, actually, it's easier for you to catch up the language. So, and as a Japanese learner, I passed my N one. I I passed I passed my N one test in two thousand. Sixteen, yeah, in two thousand sixteen, and、uh, one of the most beneficial learning experience for me is listening to one of my favorite podcast.、Uh, it's called Asmi Shinichiro no Nichiyo Tenkuk.、Uh, it's basically just a podcast talking about like really normal people, ordinary people's life. But I have been listening to that podcast for three years, and I improved a lot. From just listening to this podcast, so that's why I want to do this podcast. And the whole idea of this podcast is we're gonna we're gonna ask some very very interesting questions that is going on about the world, about the things that is going on, news, etc., fashion, music, all kinds of stuff. And this person, this person, the non English non native speaker is gonna ask the questions. And the native speaker is going to answer the questions, so you get both. Okay. So, what questions do you have for me today? <laughs> I, I would like to ask you to start from a brief self-introduction, case. Self-introduction regarding my academic achievements, or what? Uh, well, first of all, we know that you are an English native speaker. But which country do you come from? What kind of job are you doing?、Uh, which location are you currently at? And like,、uh, what kind of person you are? So, I grew up in New Jersey, which is on the east coast of America. We're about one hour from Philadelphia and two hours from New York City. If you don't know anything about New Jersey, it's essentially a A large suburban area where、um, professional people and urban professionals, as they're called, yuppies, will commute to work in these large cities.
that's kind of the American dream. It's kind of been that way since the 1940s. Anyway, that's where I grew up in suburban America in New Jersey outside of Philadelphia. So for those of you, if your English skills are better than usual, you might notice that I might have a slight bit of an accent sometimes. That would be my South Jersey accent or Philadelphia accent coming through. And as far as what I study, I generally study environmental science. My undergrad was in environmental science and policy. Uh, at one point, I was considering going to law school. And right now, I'm in the field of environmental consulting and environmental health and safety. Okay, thank you. So you mentioned that you were born in a suburb area in uh, South Jersey. That yeah. is actually quite interesting for me as well as my Chinese audience, I guess, because... You know, nowadays with the uh, urbanization and globalization process going on, nearly everyone is trying to go to the big cities like Shenzhen, Beijing, and Shanghai and try as hard as they can to get the degree they want to get, find a job there, and eventually buy a house and stay in the big city. I guess maybe at a certain point, America was also like that, or it has never been like that. America... It's a complicated story, and, and you might need a, a historian to answer this question more precisely, but what largely happened in America, going back hundreds of years, the South was divided into an agricultural-style society, as maybe China and Japan used to be with rice farming and things like that, and the North, above Virginia and above, were industrial-based economies, so textiles and things like factories and things you're more used to. So over the next hundreds of years... In the uh, 19th century, we have industrial America. In Pittsburgh, we have steel. We have the oil industry. We have Chicago um, developing. And we have Boston. There's a lot of textiles in the Northeast. Are we going back as far as Civil War here? This is, yeah, the Civil War era in the mid-19th century, which would be the uh, 1800s, late 1800s. That's kind of where capitalism in the American economy really took off and became what it is today. Um, what basically the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah, at some point um, in the late 1800s and the early 19th century, up into World War II, around the 40s, America was an industrialized country, and a lot of um, success and a lot of opportunity was in the center of these cities, in the center of Philadelphia, in the center of New York, and the, there was basically two Americas. There was rural America, where there was a lot of farming going on, and and there was industrial America. We're working in the city, working in the factories in the city. Um, Post-World War II, we have a huge development. We have the development of the car and the development of the suburbs. Um, so people decided that I have this car, I have this freedom. I don't have to live directly in the city. The city has its own problems. It has a lot of pollution. It may have a lot of trash. Um, it has a lot of immigrant communities. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that inherently, but... Um, there's a lot of different clashes of values in the cities and um, professional Americans um, in the 20th century decided that it would be best for them, it would be best for their families to move away from the city pollution, move away from the chaos of their city. And, and when was that? This was around 1950. Um, there's this thing called Levittown. Mm. So Levittown was kind of like, um, to the best of my knowledge, um, this guy Levitt came along and he started building these small like two-bedroom houses and all the houses were modeled pretty much the same way. What well, is Levittown? Is that a, a place's name or? Levitt is the name of the 
guy who invented Levittown. I think his name was John D. Levitt. And basically the premise of Levittown was um, a nice, safe community um, where for Americans who are just middle class or upper middle class or even blue collar, so maybe like $40,000 a year to $80,000 a year, mm-hmm. these type of people can have a community together away from the city um, where things are safe, there's not a lot of crime, um, and they can also commute into city if they, to work if need be. Okay. So, so yeah, that's really, um, I think there are, I, we need to like kind of uh, prepare our audience with a little bit of knowledge here because you mentioned a lot of things just now, like the Civil War, as we're the World War Two. Well, just you know, just in case that not everyone is very familiar with the timeline. So the Civil War is in nineteen eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five. Yeah, is that correct? Yes. And then the World War Two is from nineteen forty one to nineteen. 19- 45. So you were saying that basically in the late uh, 19th century and the beginning of 20th century, there is a lot of uh, similar phenomenon as we are doing right now in China. Like people are basically living in the center of the city and families actually can't, like people can actually start their families and uh, raise their families in the city. Yeah, that was the model for about a century. There was either basically farming and there was industrial America and professional America and industrial America were taking place in the cities or very close to proximity to the cities and rural America was farming. I think you see this model all over the world. You see it in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, You see it in Asia and Japan and a lot of modern countries such as Japan or Europe, they never really developed the suburban sprawl model that is America Um, You have suburban sprawl because you have the advent of the car. You have industries behind the car, the car manufacturers, the oil, um, the oil companies pushing this idea that every American uh, who values freedom, who values independence should have a car. They should be able to commute wherever they want. They should go on any vacation they want to. Um, Trains, uh, they were popular here in the early 20th century, but they have had less popularity over the development of the car. Um, Americans are obviously very independent minded Mm -hmm. and the idea of just commuting, um, taking the train, taking the subway is something that has been very popular in New York city, slightly in Chicago. Um, but public transport overall in America has not been as popular as the idea of having your own car, having your own driveway, having your own house, having your own community basically taking control of your life in every way possible. Yeah, I noticed that. Because, like, public transportation is a huge thing in China, especially in recent years with the high-speed train, you know. Like, you can go any place with this high-speed train these days. It's basically, like, um, in the past, if you take a train and go to another province, because, you know, China is also, like, a huge city. You go to another city, you take a train, and it takes, like, 10 hours or even longer so it's kind of like hassle and a very inconvenient thing to travel but these days well you either take an airplane to travel like really long distance like international travel or you just take a high-speed train and the farther like the 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 longest distance uh, i have ever ridden uh, i have ever taken for like a high-speed train is from shenzhen to beijing 
And that is basically from the very south part to like really north part. And that takes like eight hours. So it's like a real thing. But and then I came to America. I was really surprised. Like a big city like Los Angeles. We know Hollywood. The whole world knows Hollywood. The whole world. The, 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 the cultural industry is being kind of influenced in one way or another by Hollywood culture. But then I don't see very convenient public transportation as I see in China. And that is really surprising for me. So you guys just drive every day, I guess? Um, it depends what you mean by convenience. So there are definitely disadvantages to everyone having their own car. But there are also tremendous disadvantages to having public transport. And I think we've really seen the, the um, observation of this with the COVID-19 pandemic. So yeah, a lot of trouble what we've seen in New York City, a lot is being blamed on the fact that we haven't had a strict lockdown as some other countries have. We haven't had the tr- tracing and testing that Taiwan, um, obviously the colony of China, Taiwan, and um, South Korea, Japan, these countries acted very earlier because they said they have had experience in 2015 with MERS. Mm-hmm. Um, they had certain other scares with pandemics that while the U.S. was aware of, we didn't have quite as a drastic of a, as experience as these countries had. Um, so you think that uh, the major reason why the COVID-19 pandemic has developed into such a bad situation in the United States the main reason is because you you guys don't have experience. We It was in our peripheral vision. So it was definitely something that we think of happening as in Asia, just as you think of certain parts of Africa, maybe South Africa or um, Cong- Democratic Republic of Congo as having these terrible civil wars and things like that. What we just think of Asia is a place where pandemics arise because if you look at... Um, SARS from 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there was an Asian bird flu uh, about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that these are very deadly, scary things. Um, and we've never had... It's been a very long time since we had something similar. I think we had the Asian flu in 1957, which also um, came from parts East Asia, and the Hong Kong flu in 1967. Um, the death tolls of those are about a million each, Um which the entire world population was about half back then. So worldwide, you could estimate that would be the equivalent of today, about 2 million each. So those were big pandemics, um, not as big as 1918, though, which that is so long ago that we really don't have um, the scientific analysis to determine where it actually came from. It said it could have came from Kansas, like a farm in Kansas, because the military... U.S. military had bases in Kansas, and it could have spread from like a pig to a military soldier. Um, they say it could have came from southern France, I believe, and they also believe it could have come from northern Asia or northern China or Mongolia. So, mm-hmm. again, well, mm-hmm. the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic killed uh, 50 million people, which... 1918 flu... Uh, isn't, isn't that Spain flu? It's Which called one? the Spanish flu. It's called the Spanish yeah. flu for, I think, the um, reason it's called Spanish flu is because there was a huge surge of cases there. And um, a lot of countries... Well, not because the the place that, you know, that the, 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 the pandemic started was Spain. 
You don't think so? No, it's not. It's not. It's not because of that at all. It's it's suspected that it was started in the United States. The reason it's called Spanish flu is because a lot of cases were reported in Spain. But here's the thing: Spain was neutral in the uh, World War One. Okay. So, a lot of hot spots were the United States. Um, I believe France. I believe England was even a hot spot in 1918. Problem is, as we're experiencing today, a lot of countries um, tend to suppress the sinc- the sincerity of the pandemic. They're in- afraid to scare the population, especially in wartime. Like nobody's experiencing a world war, but back then in World War One, people were very um, concerned about this issue, and. It just so happens that Spain, because of their neutrality, they were the only ones reporting on the number of cases, this the sincerity of the issue at hand in a real realistic way, in a real scientific way. And because of that, it was called the Spanish flu because all the reporting, the best reporting, the best numbers, um, the only people taking this flu, uh, pandemic seriously were Spain. And that's that's what I've – that's the information that I've read. Okay, so – um. Well, my understanding is every country, especially a developed country uh, as rich as America, as powerful and influential as America, you must have a disease control center or like an equivalence to that. I believe in America it is called CDC, right? Yeah. Uh, in Chinese, we call it So basically, their role is to deal with to work out a strategy or a plan to deal with a pandemic mm. and protect people's life. Um, this, the, the, the disease control center in China obviously played their role and we got things under control. Mm. Basically, after two months of the outbreak mm. of the pandemic, a lot of international people, of course, criticized China and its and it's a disease control center saying that they are not reporting the figure uh, as like mm, as soon as the whole thing broke out. So uh, I'm wondering what kind of role the CDC play. And do you think they have done a wonderful job in the whole situation of handling with the pandemic and first of all can you can you um tell us something about cdc and its current situation um the cdc the best of my knowledge is and don't quote me on this because i'm not 100 percent sure but I'm, i believe they're part of the executive branch of government so they take um, they're directly appointed by the president and they take direct orders from the president not all organizations are like that um but the executive branch does control a lot of different organizations like the Environmental Protection Agency. Pretty sure the CDC falls in line in the same executive branch. Um, the CDC, American CDC, is one of the best organizations in the world at treating pandemics and mm-hmm. doing research on diseases and pandemics. It's a highly regarded institution. Almost, I believe they are, yeah. Almost on par with the World Health Organization. And basically what happened, to the best of my knowledge, is that the CDC um, told the World Health Organization that they were going to develop their own testing procedure for the COVID-19. And when was that? That was in early February. And WHO already had this testing kit? 
they had the testing kit like so i believe they have the formula for the testing kit and the idea is we'll export these testing kits to you or the procedure for making these testing kits and they can be mass produced so you do can do you know how long does it take for the uh like for one test how long before it the result came out with the world health organization or the cdc test uh the world health organization test the world health organization said that they had a test but as um, in accordance with what we've done in the past, the CDC develops their own tests separate from World Health Organization because the CDC has been shown to be a very capable organization of doing things like this. I believe we did one for Ebola, the, the 2014 big okay. Ebola outbreak yeah. in Africa. And the CDC handled that very well, and we developed our own tests, and everything was fine. Okay. And because the World Health Organization administers tests to South Korea, basically all over the world. Yeah, so, well, the thing is, I actually checked online a little bit, and you said that uh, the, the World Health Organization already was kind of like doing their own jo- uh, doing their job and saying, we're going to offer you some testing kits so that you can actually test people for this, pen- uh, for this COVID-19 virus. But you guys, okay, the CDC of America say, well, you take care of yourself, we're going to do our own thing. And then that was early February. The real outbreak of COVID-19 pandemic in the United States, I believe, is late March. Mm -hmm. To be specific, March 18th, you have 2,410 cases. And starting from there, things start to go crazy. Mm. And we see the numbers like double, triple, like every day. And then... We got where we are right now. We have like 1.5 million total cases. Yeah. So basically we developed our own test and we found out, I believe in late February, that the test that the CDC created was fundamentally flawed. Oh, when was that? Late February? I believe like February 24th or something like that. And uh, it, When you say floor, do you mean that the test result is untrustworthy or it just doesn't work it at It was all? just not working at all. It wasn't, not working it wasn't coming up with accurate results. It was a poorly designed test. And from that point, we had to start over. And it take, this is like a several-week process to create and implement a test. And at that point, World Health Organization did not have those tests for us. They were already... Uh-huh giving them to south korea and countries that needed them because we we turned them down i'm not sure you can answer this question but i'm gonna still ask anyway so you have mentioned cdc is a highly respect respectable organization in the united states and they have been a, uh, they have been doing wonderful job in their handling of the past pandemics including 2014 ebola uh, uh, crisis and but 2009 what, swine fl- swine flu. Exactly. What what happened this time? Like, why did they like kind of develop this testing kit and that it turned out to be fun- fundamentally flawed, not like not useful? What happened? I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. What I can say is that the Trump administration, um. There was a pandemic preparedness council. I forget the exact name of it, but it was under the National Security Council in Congress. And it was under the Obama administration to deal with the Ebola outbreak. Mm -hmm. And it was said that in 2018, 
um, Trump disbanded this council and because he was concerned about paying these people's salaries for things that they didn't need to be worried about. So this council was disbanded in 2018 and they were assigned different tasks to focus on different things because the Trump administration didn't see uh, another pandemic or epidemic like Ebola outbreak anytime soon. So um, he, And this is at the um, contrast of what experts and people are actually doing a lot of research on pandemics like virologists have been saying and epidemiologists is saying that it's only a matter of time just like the next big earthquake it's only a matter of time yeah. before the next big pandemic and it's probably wow. going to come from asia mm, wow so that's that's really shocking i mean basically president trump is a businessman it was like if i'm paying money and salary for these people like actually a good amount of money right for these people to just be there and they're not actually doing anything if there is not a pandemic and then i'm not paying this money i'm gonna just uh, you know tell these people go work on something else okay so basically you're saying that your president actually doesn't have very solid scientific knowledge because as far as i know there are actually some important public figures in the united states who um pay a lot of attention to this kind of uh, pandemic research, such as Bill Gates. He was one of the most important uh, spokesperson who alerts the audience, uh, alerts the public about the seriousness of this pandemic. He also donated a large amount of money to the research of the vaccine, right? So you actually do have a lot of important public figures who know the seriousness of a pandemic and they are in every way trying to do things they can to, 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 to help out this situation. But the only, the only floor in this whole thing is that your president, who actually has the most power, doesn't think it's necessary to keep this uh, you know, pandemic uh, group, research group. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's under the National Security Council. Um, which I believe is an organization that's made up within the United States uh, Congress. And I'm just trying to bring this up here. Keep Maybe keep talking about what uh, you believe so? Yes. Well, the thing is, obviously, CDC still has very, very strong scientific research capability because we know that they fucked up the first time as you mentioned just now, in the uh, late February. And then when they actually came up with their new testing kit, it was amazing. It was better than the testing kit that the WHO actually gave out before. And it's, best, it's better than any of the testing kits in the, the, the testing kit of other countries, right? So you can basically just uh, swap inside, because I actually did this test. In Los Angeles, mm. I actually did it. It's a drive-through testing, so you just go there, you book online, and say, um, "I want to test because I have a fever yesterday." Yeah. And what you need to do is you 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 just sign up to reserve for a test at a certain testing site, and you're gonna receive an email. This email includes very specific instructions as to what kind of video instruction video you need to watch. And then what you are supposed to do there, because you still need to keep like social distancing and everything. Mm. So uh, we drove to that testing site. We got this testing kit. 
we already watched the video on how to use this testing kit. Basically, you just cough on your mask so that you can clear out all of the things from your lungs. And then you swab this small thing. You, you just swab it, uh, swab inside your mouth and you put it back to the tube. And that's the whole thing. And then you can, you just drive away. I remember two or three days later, I got the results and it says it's negative. You are fine. You don't have COVID-19. Um, I was pretty impressed actually by the, uh, testing kit developed by CDC because the result came up came out just like so fast now I believe it's like five minutes you can just get the test result right Mm -hmm. so yeah I wanted to correct myself from earlier the National Security Council is not a congressional organization though there I think there is um, congressional security councils but the National Security Council is under the White House okay discretion so it's composed of officials from the White House and it's an interagency-led uh, um, coalition of members. So, yeah, basically, there was a pandemic preparedness plan. Um, it was a, a playbook laid out by the Obama administration, mm-hmm. and it was still intact uh, up until the Trump administration. But basically, it was never really fully audited by the Trump administration. And, yeah, he definitely, at some point in 2018, disbanded this and... Um, kind of basically neglected the warnings. There was a lot of documentaries coming out Mm -hmm. at the time about the warnings or the threats posed by pandemics. Um, Virologists saying it's only a matter of time before there's a huge outbreak. So one thing, one one major thing you can point to is that the U.S. was not prepared for this. Um, Okay. Sometimes our isolation is our worst enemy. So being isolated by two giant bodies of water throughout history... You can go back to the one of the only times, only couple times we were attacked um, on our homeland was in World War II by Japan and in 2001 by Al-Qaeda. And um, I would regard pandemics as a similar situation. It's something that we see out of our peripheral as happening in East Asia, mm, India, Africa, and it's not really anything to do with the United States or our society. Um, it's just too out of reach for us. But... You, Obviously, we live in a global culture, not to interrupt you, but we live in a place where mm-hmm. China is part of the modern market. All the countries in Europe are part of the modern market. Mm-hmm. We're all part of the same modern market, and we're all using the same transportation. We're going to the same airports, and you know, we're all traveling. There's How many Chinese visitors are there to America every year? Million? Mm-hmm. Two million? Well, well to Three be million? fair, to defend for my country... Because the whole thing, the whole outbreak happened in China in January, actually. The whole thing started in December, back in December. Nobody knows when exactly, but Wuhan was blocked out, was shut down. Um, I remember very clearly Beijing time, 23rd January. Mm-hmm. And your government, the Trump administration, actually stopped the airlines from China yeah. immediately after that. But again, again, this is a global society and the Trump administration lacked foresight um, because they should know this is not the 19th century. If you close off transportation from one country, that doesn't mean people can't transport to other countries and then transport back to the United States. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly. So we so- contained, we contained the mm-hmm. viruses that came from Wuhan. But the Trump administration was too late on blocking immigration from Europe. So some people from Wuhan went to Milan, Italy, and a couple of Americans went skiing. 
And these Americans who went skiing in Italy, um, I know people who, I have friends of my mom who went uh, skiing, kids mm-hmm. that she tutors for math. Her, this kid went skiing in Italy in January. I, I have it's... people in Santa Clarita, which is 20 miles north of LA, who went skiing in Italy. These people at another epi- epidemic center got created in Italy, and then these people transported from Italy um, to America. I think that's you just uh, you just said you just talked about what most um, Chinese people actually think, because you know Wuhan was shut down on twenty third January, meaning nobody from Wuhan can come out of Wuhan at that point. Yeah, and the outbreak of pandemic, especially in on the east coast, like in cities like New York, in states like New Jersey, the whole thing, the whole outbreak happened in. Late March. What does that tell us? The time lapse here means that actually, I don't think the transmission is from China. The pandemic of America. No, it's not. We know definitively that it's not from China. It's from Europe. It yeah. went to America. We exactly. contain the Chinese cases in America. So you guys, like, you have received the message from WHO, from your government, from all the scientists, the virologists, and they keep telling people there is a pandemic going on in Italy, in Spain, in Germany, in France, well, and better not go those go to those areas. And you guys still went there, right? So you brought back the, you know. The virus. If you would look and at, and that's how the thing, whole thing developed into such a if situation. You, if you looked at the World Health Organization's tweets and the messages they were putting out, I think they were very late. I think they were trying not to make this a crisis as much as possible. And I think they were delaying, not purposely delaying, but they didn't want to weigh in early enough. They didn't, by the time Trump had already blocked immigration to China, he was already being insulted by. People in Congress, by Nancy Pelosi, by Joe Biden, I believe, who's a Democratic uh, presidential nominee at the moment. I'm not saying I'm a Trump supporter because I'm not, but I'm saying people wanted Trump was hasty in a way to his understanding of the world and his understanding of how viruses work and how people um, travel throughout the world. He took initiative in a way. Was it good enough? No, it wasn't good enough. But. I think a lot of people weren't hasty enough. I think a lot of people in Congress. We have Nancy Pelosi,、um, we have the governor or the mayor of New York City saying it's okay to go to the Chinese New Year parades. It's okay to go to these live events in New York City and San Francisco. Why would it be okay? We know that people have traveled from China. We know that people have been in contact with people in Europe, and they're coming here, and could potentially be carrying the disease. And why would it be okay to go to? These large gatherings of people in New York City in February, there's、mm-hmm. just as early as、um, early March. I think the mayor of New York City was saying it's perfectly fine、um, to go to Broadway plays. Don't be worried about it. Everyone's so worried about preventing economic、uh, catastrophe that they're saying don't panic, don't panic、mm-hmm. until March 10th, and it's already too late. It's already spread to thousands、yeah. and thousands of people, and we don't even know it. It's right it's under. It's not only、radar. the economic catastrophe that you mentioned. I totally agree with what you you just said. Well, I think for Chinese audience, we need to pre- prepare them with a little bit background information that in America, actually, the、uh, bipartisanship, bipartisan.、Uh, Struggle or conflicts has been going on for years and years. So the the, the names Keith just mentioned, like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, 
they are the public figures, most important, so-called like most important people、yeah. from the Democratic Party, while Donald Trump is from the Republican. Party,、mm. so the bipartisanship has been going on for years. It's still going bipartisanship on. Bipartisanship is a good term. So this is anti-bipartisanship. What you, what is anti-bipartisanship? When you say bipartisanship, that means things are done jointly. So bi,、oh. so bipartisanship meaning two parties, the two major parties in America. Okay. We have Republicans and Democrats coming together to come to an agreement. So the last four. Uh, relief packages passed by Congress in April were bipartisan packages. So we've had both、uh, Senate and the House、um, come together, both sides of the Senate and the House. So Republicans and Democrats coming together to agree upon to agree or disagree upon terms laid out in these packages. And、mm-hmm. then once they get enough votes,、um, they can pass it to the president to be signed. And、mm-hmm. the president's obviously Republican. That's just a civics lesson on how our government works. Nancy Pelosi happens to be the majority leader of the House right now、mm-hmm. because she's a Democrat.、Um, she was elected the majority leader、um, to represent Democrats in the House.、Um, in the Senate, you have a Republican leader,、uh, Mitch McConnell.、Mm. The bipartisanship is basically certain certain issues can be passed through Congress. With ease, and certain things will never get through Congress with ease, such as maybe something having to do with abortion or other contentious、uh, topics. Or yeah, so what I don't understand is this: these people like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. You mentioned they actually gave this kind of speech in、uh, on the internet on TV, and they are saying this is racism. Uh, this is like a racist fear.、Mm. People can go to Chinatown and gather in large amount to celebrate Chinese New Year.、Mm-hmm. It's no big deal.、Mm. Uh, the virus is no big deal. Actually, as far as I remember, your most respected scientist, Doctor Fauci, Doctor Anthony Fauci, also said something like that. Yeah, he also said the 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 virus is not to be feared. There's nothing to to fear about this virus. Like, why do why do you think these people actually can just say things like this when they do not know for sure? Because that's very like really confusing to me. You are public figures. Yeah. So what do you say in public actually matters? People actually listen to you, and you just tell people this virus is not to be feared. There's nothing to fear. And at a certain point, I remember like Chinese people.、Uh, Actually, the whole Asian people, we are very comfortable with the concept of wearing a mask when we go out.、Mm. It's either like you're uh, uh, allergic,、mm. or you have a flu, you have a cold, and then you want to prevent from transmitting this to other people. It's kind of a common thing for Asian people, but you guys were not so used to that whole idea of wearing a mask. And at a certain point, these public figures even mentioned. Wearing a mask doesn't help at all from transmitting the virus. I specifically remember that because I watched it from the TV news, and I keep saying it's not true. Actually, the Chinese government has been suggesting is people wearing a well mask when they go out because it's actually turned out to be useful. Yeah. And then in the late what April, I don't remember the exact time timeline, but at a certain point, your government. 
uh, mayor, governor just start to tell people to wear masks. Okay. So these changes that this fiscal response in the whole thing just made me very confused. I'm like so confused. Like, how can these public figures just say things so randomly before they actually have a very good grasp of the knowledge about the whole thing? Yeah. So this is something I actually have some expertise in. So because I'm in environmental health and safety, and what I, I deal with asbestos on a regular basis. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a construction material um, that is very carcinogenic, meaning that it has high propensity to cause cancer when you use it. Um, so basically we need certain masks to deflect these particles or to capture these particles or to prevent them from entering your lungs. The same goes with viruses and virons and viral particles. Um, they're around the same size. Um, so the masks that we use, um, there's three different masks mm -hmm. that people are talking about using for this pandemic. And there's two major ones. There's a surgical mask and there's an N95 mask, which is... Yeah. N95 is um, controlled by the National Institute of Science and Technology, I believe, in America. And our standard of the N95 is that... Can you, can you tell us what does the number N95 mean? So N95 um, will, I believe... I have to double check right now. But it, cap it technically should capture all particles, 95% of all particles, mm -hmm. up to 3 microns. Three what? Microns, so um, micrometers. Okay. So you can go down the um, the decimal scale, and micrometers, it's, I believe, one thousandth of a millimeter. So it's very, very small. Okay. Very, very small. So, we're so is it effective to prevent the virus? Um, that's the thing. So technically, um, a virus, a coronavirus, a typical coronavirus mm -hmm. is um, – Less than three microns. So less than three microns. So you don't think N ninety one is actually effective from N ninety five in so preventing oh, ninety five in preventing the coronavirus. Theoretically, if we're just going off the size of the viral particle, mm -hmm. um, the average coronavirus, um, there's a wide variety of um, coronavirus types, and I believe the average size of these is around one micrometer. And mm -hmm. as I said, these these masks are te theoretically supposed to, and there's tests that enforce this. There's, they practice when they administer these masks and when they, um, when they have them be produced, when they are under production, they have to be, uh, held to this standard. They're supposed to block 95% of all particles up to, uh, three microns three micro. or three microns and below, mm -hmm. but they're not ever supposed to protect against particles that are less than three microns. And even if you have a P100 mask, mm -hmm. um, which I use for work, a P100 mask is supposed to protect 99.97 of all particles, wow. three microns or lower. Mm -hmm. Again, this protects against asbestos because asbestos is three microns or larger. Mm -hmm. But with viral particles that are less than three microns, these are theoretically not supposed to prevent these so why why does so yeah i, I think I get, that's why these organizations are reluctant to say that these are going to protect you because theoretically they're not going to protect you theoretically wearing a surgical mask and saying that it's going to stop viral particles is like saying a chain fence is is going to stop if i throw a bunch of rice at you in my hand through a chain link fence 
all the rice is going to hit you. Maybe a couple particles are going to be deflected, but mm. large majority of these particles are going to hit you. Okay. Uh, so, which institute, which organization, including your uh, government, was tell were telling people that wearing mask doesn't work? I believe it was the World Health Organization, which is not. Again, is that so? Again, it's the world. It's and the World Health Organization is under the United Nations, so it's made up of 160 or so countries, China included. Well, that's very interesting. And like were not, from the very beginning of the pandemic, China. Uh, Chinese government and its officials have been telling Chinese people to wear a mask from the very beginning. We yeah. were told so from the very beginning. That's why, you know, there are some conspiracy theory going on in the United States, which says, well, China just collected all of the masks and the PPE from all over the world when the pandemic outbreak happened in China. Mm. And then when the pandemic happened in other countries, you know, these countries happened not to have these PPEs. Yeah. I don't think that's the case because as far as I know, uh, a lot of uh, Chinese people living outside the country, mm. meaning in other foreign countries, they have been helping Chinese people to buy this mask with their own money because as a nice gesture, mm. they were like, we're going to buy a lot of masks and send it back to China because people need this. Yeah. But because European uh, people, including American people, you guys don't have the habit of wearing a mask. So to be honest, you don't have a lot of storage of masks. And that's why, you know, the whole storage of masks and PPE just run out very quickly. Yeah. Because you guys don't have a large uh, stock, and right? I'm pretty sure the supply chain for these N95 masks, while N95 is an American standard uh, established by the National Institute in Standards of Technology, um, our supply chain, I'm pretty sure most of it comes from China or yeah, maybe true. other countries. I'm not sure exactly, but the, the company is 3M, which is an American company. But I believe most, obviously, like most other products, even Apple phones, mm-hmm. well, maybe American, but the supply chain comes from China. Yeah. So. Back to the uh, mask problem. So, like, what changed? Uh, so, you said that it's actually WHO's instruction? WHO, um, I remember, I think the CDC said masks are not a thing. I, I believe there were a couple experts, virologists, who talked on YouTube and said masks are not going to help. I think science in general is reluctant to say something is going to help you when there's no evidence for it. So, why now? Why do the government and the medical institutes suggest people wearing masks right now? Because I think it was discovered that the viral particles are largely not free floating. So and I guess with some diseases, the viral particles can be free floating. But with this particular disease, I'm guessing that the viral particles attach to larger molecules of saliva, of mm-hmm. mucus, mm-hmm. of maybe even hairs on your nose or mm-hmm. or dried skin. All these things that sound kind of gross are all part of our breathing apparatus and our nose. And, and these viral particles attach themselves when you um, exhale. These viral particles can attach themselves to larger, much larger, by magnitudes of thousands. So a, a small molecule of spit that you can't even see is going to be orders of magnitude larger than the actual viral particle mm. and it may carry viral viral particles so you breathe in a dust molecule mm-hmm. and you the dust molecule has three viral particles on it and you are infected there with the virus but well a surgical mask may prevent that dust molecule and an n95 is likely to pre- 
prevent that inhalation of that molecule. And in a P100, which I usually wear for work, will definitely stop um, a dust molecule from coming in. Thank you for explaining that. That's very clear. I, I, I actually didn't know that before. So very interestingly, you mentioned and you explained this, that the viral uh, particles, mm. can I use that term? Viral particles? I think, yeah, it's either viral particles or viron. So okay. V-I-R-O-N. Okay. Virons. Let me just use viral particles. The viral particles actually attach themselves to dust particles or like saliva particles. And then wearing a mask can help you because your mask actually prevent those things from, uh, you know, transmitting into your body. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a very simplistic theory or knowledge. How come this medical institutes like smart, intelligent people didn't know that from the very beginning? Well, I think there were some com- confusions about what masks people had and what pe- people were actually using because there's pe- not many people who are out of health and safety are aware of the different types of PPE. A surgical mask is a medical mask and a medical mask is largely so um, when the surgeons are working on patients, maybe their throat surgery or, or mouth surgery, even dentists, even your dentist is working on you and you, the dentist does not want to breathe any of his saliva uh, particles or molecules into your mouth, therefore contaminating your mouth or inside of your body with um, some kind of bacteria or something that the, the saliva molecule has picked up along the way. That's very obvious. But what the surgical mask does not prevent mm. is um, the inhalation of even dust molecules. A surgical mask is not a dust mask. It doesn't even prevent a lot of dust from being absorbed or being inhaled. Yeah, but you mentioned N95 mask actually prevented. And P100 yeah, but definitely prevented. So not many people. How come this like WHO, organize, this organization, as well as CDC... How come they didn't see that, you know, this virus is actually transferred in such a way and wearing mask is actually effective? There's a couple of reasons. It. So one of the reasons is that there's, uh, to, to that point, there wasn't a lot of studies being done on the effectiveness of masks. I think there was a few from South Korea um, going back to the early 2000s. Um, the other reason, it, there's a conspiracy theory that maybe... Um, we were more concerned with making sure that our nurses, our frontline workers, our our people who really needed the mask and were going to be exposed to this on a very um, daily basis, mm-hmm. who were going to be exposed um, to the virus in hospitals, in nursing homes, um, the elderly, people who are vulnerable, people who really need these masks. I think the initial thought is we wanted to make sure that these people had them and then the other people who may just be locked down in their homes who are not going to be exposed in a very serious way on a daily basis. We want to make sure the supply chain is not disrupted by them. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, sort of misled the whole world and said, well, you don't really need these masks. And maybe that was disingenuous. Maybe that they said that just to make sure the supply chain wasn't disrupted because we have a limited supply chain and we only have so many masks. Mm. Because every year you have a demand for masks. We only need a certain number of masks. But when a pandemic comes, you need to increase that 10,000-fold. Yeah, I understand that. So, well, I mean, according to my memory, I don't remember actually seeing a video from WHO 
saying very clearly that wearing a mask is not going to help people from getting this disease, from getting this virus. I don't, I, I don't actually remember seeing such a video. Do you? It's not going to help people. I think, yeah, there was definitely. If you follow the Twitter account, I can bring it up now, but I'm kind of occupied with my hands at the moment on this microphone because、uh, we don't have a stand for it. But the fact of the matter is that I believe they were reluctant to say that anything with science. What I know, any any scientist is reluctant to come to a conclusion without enough evidence. That's just、okay. a pretty standard principle in science. To say that these masks are 100% protective. Or that they're going to protect you will provide. I think in the scientists' biggest fear is that this is going to provide a false sense of security for people, and they're going to be out with these masks, congregating, going to the same concerts they were before, and the idea that they're not going to get this disease at all because they have this protective mask on. And we still don't know exactly what degree N95s are keeping this thing at bay.、Mm-hmm. Are N95s effective at all, or is it just the fact that China had a really great lockdown and South Korea had a really great? Uh, tracing and testing program. Yeah, I, I mean, that's you know. Then we we kind of come to this topic about like where we are right now because、uh, China has de- done a very good job in the whole lockdown situation. South Korea has done a very excellent job in this whole tracing, tracking, testing thing. They successfully. Kept the spread of the virus under control, and now basically there are like no new cases anymore. And Japan has done a good job, actually. The you know like if anyone like if we are following the the the, the development of the whole、uh, virus pandemic thing across the whole world, we know that Princess Diamond, uh, you know which harbored at the part of Yokohama、mm. in Japan. Kind of got people into this heated discussion about how inca- incompetent, how incapable the Japanese government is,、mm. was, sorry, was in dealing with the whole situation. Yeah. But surprisingly, surprisingly, the whole pandemic never actually had a real outbreak in Japan. No. People were still going to work, and there were not so many death cases in Japan anyway. Eventually. So, but like the situation was just exasperated so badly in America. I mean, if you well, like, I if I ask not... you to comment on the ordinary people、yeah. in how they deal with this pandemic and how they listen or not listen to the government, what would you say about American people? I want to address first the thing that the idea that the you can say that there has been a mishandling in the U.S. government of this, but I don't want to get. Put out of context. You can look at the figure one point five million, but you have to keep in context that the U.S. is the third, the world's、um, third largest country in terms of population. China and India are the, are the biggest, but the U.S. is the number three. Are we much lower? We're at like three hundred and thirty million people. However, per million,、um, some other countries have been hit just as hard, if not harder, than the United States. And one of them would be Ireland, which is、um, a very modern Western democracy. Um, France has been hit per、um, cases per million pretty hard. Italy, as we know, has been hit very hard cases per million, and the deaths per million are actually higher.、Um, Spain has been pretty hit very hard.、Um, Germany has done a, a pretty good job, but but none of them have as many cases as United States. But you have to put in context per pop, per million. 
I mean, so in cases terms of per, per, cases per million, uh, like where does America rank? It's definitely within the top twenty countries, but it's definitely not number one. Um, and Who is the, number one? The here's the issue with that. So there are countries that are very, very small, and there are countries that are city states. As in,、oh, so yeah, there's a country、yeah. you you might know Singapore. Singapore yeah, is yeah. a city state, so it's its own country and it's a city. Mm-hmm. Problem with doing that is it's an unfair to say that、um, you know Luxembourg or these small city states in Europe.、Um, I forget the exact names, but like San Marino Islands or small countries yeah, like that. They have the highest cases per million. There's like five of those countries that have the highest cases per million. But unlike China, unlike the United States, unlike Japan, these are not normal countries. They don't have a big rural area、um, where the disease can be mitigated to a certain point. It's just a city. And if we were doing just a city, I mean, some of the biggest、um, hit、uh, countries in the world, it, or biggest hit cities in the world, would be New York,、um, Wuhan, Milan, Italy.、Um, so that's just that's just giving you、um, an example of the highest cases per million. But if you're talking about established countries,、um, not that those countries aren't established, but if you're talking about what we typically think of as a country. Um, a place with a vast rural area as well as a city. You see, Ireland is、mm-hmm. in the top ten.、Mm-hmm. Then again, Ireland is pretty small as well. There's only about five million people in Ireland.、Um, but yeah, there's Italy,、um, Spain. Again, cases per million. These in the United States, Germany, all these countries are relatively in the same area as being、mm-hmm. very hit. Okay, hit so very hard by the disease. Can you can you answer my question now? <laughs> What was your question? <laughs> you already forgot my question. My question was, was a cultural mentality. No, I'm not <laughs> saying cultural mentality. I, I'm saying that, you know, in terms of how the ordinary people, just like you and me, ordinary people handle the pandemic, whether they are listening or not listening to their government instructions, how would you <clears throat> comment, American people? Because when we see news. All day long on like all kinds of channels, like、yeah. American people actually ca- some of them. I mean, in some states, actually、yeah. carry their guns, went to the government cat、uh, the government buildings and、yeah. do a protest and say we want to go back to work, we want to end this shutdown. When there are people dying, thousands of people dying every day. Yeah. So one of one of the biggest concerns with um. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of dry mouth. Drink some water. So one of the concern, what this is emblematic of, I think America's action wasn't swift enough, and、mm-hmm. I think again with the again with the mask issue, we were too reluctant to do something drastic and immediate and swift. So、Why? Our lockdown, This is concerned with your own life. Our lockdown was not as strict as even the ones in Europe. The ones in Spain and Italy, to the best of my knowledge, were more strict than、yeah. even the ones in China. Yeah, I, I think we need to、uh, kind of prep our audience with knowledge. So, like in China, the lockdown, the shutdown is like you absolutely cannot go out、mm-hmm. unless it's absolutely necessary, like going to the supermarket to get your grocery. Otherwise, you just have to stay in your apartment unless the government told you not to.、Um, it's mandatory.、Mm-hmm. But the lockdown in America. Is not mandatory. It's strongly recommended by the government, by well, the local government, and say it's please、mandatory. stay at home, save lives. 
our lockdown was more about closing businesses. So there were many businesses that were mandated that they're closed, but many businesses were not. So construction was considered essential. It was allowed to remain um, intact. Um, delivery and takeout. So you're allowed to get delivery and takeout from pretty much any restaurant you wanted to. You just have to go wait in line. Um, liquor stores, cigarette stores, pretty much everything you could possibly think of. Costco. You guys might be familiar with Costco. Um, it's open. There's a line out the door in L.A. County at pretty much every Costco. Um, this is furthering the transmission. Um, yeah, so you're still not answering my question. <laughs> what was my question? My question is, <laughs> in terms of how ordinary people actually deal with the pandemic, whether they're listening or not listening to the government instructions, how do you comment American people? Do you think they actually do a good job as American citizens that they actually listened and actually have taken actions as they are supposed to? Or you think they're just like really I can only answer care this. about their freedom of going out, their freedom of dining in the restaurant? I can only they answer care this. these kind of things more than they do about this whole pandemic. I can only answer this anecdotally. Um, so if your listeners know what that means, it's just not on a statistical way, not with interpreting a lot of data, just yeah. interpreting just one anecdote. So something that you observe, something that you know, a story that you've heard. So basically, on my observations, initially uh, in L.A. County, people didn't really know what was going on. They were all of a sudden, the last week we were going out having drinks at bars, and then the next day... Um, St. Patty's Day, St. Patrick's Day was canceled and all the bars were closed and everything was closed down and people were caught by surprise. And then they were getting mixed messages. Some people online, some experts were saying wear a mask. The World Health Organization is saying you don't really need a mask. The CDC is saying you don't really need a mask. Um, we don't have any clear direction from the White House saying whether we need a mask or not. They mm -hmm. don't know. They're, I mean, there's not a lot of scientists in the White House. So you're you're trying to say that the the kind of weird behavior we see in American people is actually partially a result from the ununanimous information they got because they get information like this and like that. They but get information they just in like piecemeal. conflict with each other. They're getting conflicting information. And even um, I watched the Joe Rogan Show, which is one of the most popular podcasts uh, in America and in the world. I'm not sure you guys have access to it. It's on YouTube. But... Um, he had some of the the best virologists and epidemiologists on in the past months. I think he had two or three of them. And I didn't even get clear information from them. Again, scientists are reluctant to say a mask is going to 100% protect mm -hmm. you or a mm -hmm. lockdown is going to 100% work or it's yeah. going to be 100% effective. Yeah, I remember watching that Dr. Anthony Fauci. So at a certain point, he finally said he suggested people wear a mask. And when the CNN uh, journalist <clears throat> or host asked him, do you think wearing a mask is going to do something? It's going to be helpful? He didn't say it for sure. He said, well, now that we actually have some stock of the mask coming back, yeah. I don't think it's, I, I definitely think it's not going to hurt yeah. if you wear a mask. And that's his words. So he's still like, didn't say for sure. I think people should wear a mask because it's definitely necessary. Yeah. All I can say is that um, looking back, obviously it's not even over yet. It's only mid-May. But looking back, I think what we obviously can't implement the kind of lockdown that China has. because Why not? 
Why? Because there's questions about constitutionality of locking people in the oh, house. Oh, I, I don't think people like my audience would be familiar with that. Can you explain and elaborate on that a little bit? Um, what is so the constitutional? I'm gonna give me. You better put two minutes on me because I could go on for an hour about this topic. Yeah, you better just so use two just minutes. Tell me two minutes and tell okay. me when the two minutes is up. So basically, to give you, we have three branches of government here. We have the Congress. Mm-hmm. And we have the executive branch. You guys are probably most familiar with the executive branch because you see Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is much like the Chinese government. It's a very executive. We can, Donald Trump can give an order and people have to listen. Mm-hmm. However, um, these orders issued by Trump, we have another system called the judicial branch, which can keep the orders by Trump in check. And what the judicial branch is, they go back to the Constitution all the way back um, to the Bill of Rights. Um, to the, everything laid out in the Constitution. We've even had amendments made to the Constitution as recently as um, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I believe there's 27 amendments to the Constitution. So what the justice system does is um, someone files a lawsuit against Trump's order on the Muslim immigration ban, for example. And this is checked by the justice system, so a judicial court, um, it can go all the way up to the Supreme Court or it can stay within you have 30 seconds dude. lower district of courts to determine the constitutionality of this order. So if Trump gives an order for a mandatory lockdown, mm-hmm. well, overnight, you're going to have many lawsuits um, taking the Trump's order to court to determine whether it's um, it's constitutional, whether it so agrees with me, the U.S. Constitution or it doesn't. Trump cannot just do whatever he wants. So tell me, like, what does the Constitution say specifically about this mandatory shutdown thing? Um, I know that the U.S. government can shut down its own organizations. Mm-hmm. We can shut down our police departments. We can shut down um, the fire station. We can shut down schools. We can shut down everything public. So there's a lot of parks and and beaches in LA that are owned by the public. So our taxpayer monies um, go into these beaches and trails and hiking trails and basically everything public museums. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, what can you not shut down? Um, you, I'm not entirely sure cause I'm not a constitutional lawyer. Yeah, but sure. Obama, but, I believe was a constitutional lawyer, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And there are many constitutional lawyers out there who have a lot to say about Trump's Muslim ban. So for example, they, we're not talking about the Muslim bank here. We're talking about like a national mandatory shutdown. So let's say, suppose Donald Trump actually issued such a mandatory shutdown order. I think it uh, would be Specifically speaking, which term does it like uh, go against? I'm not qualified to say that because I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but there is... Uh, can you use like maybe... I, I don't mean you have to use legal terminology, but like generally speaking, I think it is would... it against like freedom of moving or what um again i'm not entirely sure what it would violate but i'm sure there is some clause in the constitution that that would violate um i don't know of anything that has ever happened in u.s history um that would be that broad and that um draconian and Mm. draconian is a very draconian just means a very top-down authoritative action and it's happened in um, a few times in U.S. history. But, okay. Yeah. So basically, you're telling me uh, it's impossible to issue a national lockdown 
a mandatory lockdown just like China did because it's, it goes against the constitution. And if actually Donald Trump did that, not only, I suppose if, if he actually did that, he is only, going against the law. Not only could it, is it very likely to be questioned by the uh, constitutionally mm-hmm. by the justice system? It's also going to be publicly contested. You mem- remember something called the Vietnam War and the Iraq War, which were they happened, but they were very they caused a lot of stress and a lot of problems for the administrations that issued mm-hmm. these wars. And this is something that might happen similarly. People being forced into a lockdown, um, you might get a lot of public animosity on based on that order and you would also get a lot of legal animosity and mm-hmm. you would you would create a very contentious situation um it's probably something that a full-scale lockdown like the one china did it, it not only is it very hard to do in the u.s it's very hard to do in europe it's very hard to do in japan and, and south korea as well which okay, is why they so, had different approaches than china did to this this pandemic. so um i also like I've been watching the news on this pandemic like the whole time and I noticed that actually you know Chinese people and then American people show totally different attitudes about lockdown Chinese people were like if our government told us it's better for our interest to stay at home and stop the spread of the virus mm-hmm. and let's end this pandemic as soon as possible yeah. ASAP then we're going to do it we're going to sacrifice the economy. We're going to sacrifice our, you know, outdoor time, outdoor entertainment, yeah. and we're going to do this. It's basically, well, I'm not trying to say that Chinese people are better than any other people, but I'm just trying to say it's a very cooperative attitude that we I see, I saw in Chinese people. Mm. But in American people, we see, of course, the news always choose those, like, you know, more... um like dramatic and conflicting topics to to report but what i see in in the news is that actually a lot of american people are very uncooperative in their attitudes about the whole lockdown thing what do you think are the reasons that make people unwilling to stay at home and save lives and stop the pandemic yeah so i don't i don't want people to get the wrong idea by looking at the news and seeing some protesters just because there's a protest going on doesn't mean the whole of America is against something. So there was a protest against the Vietnam War, but that doesn't mean every single American was against the of war. Of course. We, we, yeah, we, we kind of, um, already know that. It doesn't mean, like, the, what we see in the news does not represent 100% of what American people think. But it is true that a large portion of American people want to go back to work, reopen the economy, although the situation in America is not so optimistic yet. I think um, history has shown and past um, studies have shown that once you do a lockdown, you can't go back to having a more strict lockdown. You either implement a strict lockdown initially and then slowly ease up that lockdown, but it's very hard like from a sociological perspective, it's very hard to get people to reverse and backtrack. So we already had like a strict lockdown a somewhat strict lockdown in America in certain cities and certain States and some States were less so, but it's going to be, it's mid May, the summer is coming. It's going to be very hard to backtrack and get um, them to lock down more yeah. strictly. Maybe if the, the cases peak to an uncontrollable amount, we will do that. But it's definitely not a tenable. It's definitely an untenable situation. To- I can understand you. You guys want to 
um, start to loosen the lockdown a little bit to some degree, step by step, gradually. And that has been the policy of the government, of the city, of the states, mm. or generally speaking. Yeah. But what do you think are the reasons that people are so eager to go back to their job and to reopen the economy? What are the what are the reasons that might be that people are so against a very strict lockdown? There's a, a wide variety of reasons why people would be against a very strict lockdown. I think it goes again. Americans are very independent thinking, individualistic people, and having the government tell them to do something is not something they're necessarily comfortable with. Except, especially when there's conflicting information, especially when. We see countries like Sweden adopting a different approach to this, having like some partial restrictions, but it's very, very loose. And you have different states in America attempting different things, like Georgia is less strict than California, for example. So, and there's there is controversy about how effective masks are. And, you know, should we definitely? I think the consensus has arrived. We should be wearing masks, but initially it was kind of blurred. So people are not as trustworthy in America as the government. Um, of the government historically um, as they may be in countries like China because it's part of our culture to kind of question authority and question yeah. that and decide things for ourselves. Yeah, I can um, sense that. What are the other reasons you can share with us? Um, the other reasons are a lot of people are hurting economically, a lot of small businesses, small business owners. Um, they don't have the safety net that maybe a large corporation like Amazon does or maybe a giant um, pharmaceutical company or any number of large companies that they have enough um, funds to survive this or else. But a lot of small businesses, small restaurants are struggling very hard, harshly, and I don't think it's tenable for them to be able to go for another several months on full lockdown Mm -hmm. and have their business. I think we're going to see dozens and dozens maybe 50 percent of restaurants go out of business this summer maybe not they're not going to be able to reopen so people are saying they're they're basically saying we need to weigh what are the what are all the harsh consequences of this pandemic should we should we partially reopen the economy if we open the economy a little bit then more people will die more elderly people, more people in nursing homes, more people with pre-existing conditions. But is that a sacrifice we're willing to make to enable that millions and millions of people don't lose their jobs and their livelihood? And that's a very tough balance to make. And that's the kind of, you know, um, I guess some countries and some cultures wouldn't make that decision. They would let their government make it for them. But it's something that Americans want to take and start to weigh ourselves. Mm. And make the decision for ourselves whether we should open up right now or not. Yeah. So basically, well, the the first thing you mentioned is that American people are not used to the idea of being told what to do by their government. Because they have been this independent thinking people forever. So they're not quite comfortable with being told what to do. And that is the case with this pandemic lockdown. Mm-hmm. And the second me- reason you mentioned is the economic reason. Mm-hmm. As we all know, the latest number data is 14.7 American people 
go unemployed already because of this pandemic,、mm. which is very shocking for me. Meaning, almost like fifteen percent of people are out of job right now,、mm-hmm. and we do know that American people don't have a lot of savings, right? Yeah, like in China, people always save for a rainy day, but American people, I guess, American society in general is kind of like a consumer society. Yeah, you guys make a lot of money. You're the one.、Uh, you're not one of the richest. You are the richest country in the whole world, but you make tons of money and then you spend all of them. That's basically a consumer society's feature.、Uh, so, no, if I would make that generalization, <laughs> the different people within America spend accordingly to their culture and their background and. Um, and their their personal behaviors, and some people save a lot, and some people don't, and、okay. some people spend a lot, and some people don't. But there is also a data that shows actually, I forgot, seventy percent, seventy percent of American family cannot, uh, cannot pay one thousand dollar emergency money. Like if、um, there is an emergency and you need to pay one thousand dollars. Seventy percent of American family doesn't have it, and forty percent,、uh, or half, half of the American families cannot pay four hundred dollars emergency money, which is very shocking for me because it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it is true according to this data that、um, a lot of American families cannot actually afford such a small amount of emergency money. I saw a statistic similar to that. I can't speak for that. Um, exactly. I don't. I don't. I remember looking at statistics that was similar to that. I don't know the exact numbers.、Um, but in regards to saving and things like that, I believe culturally we are、um, encouraged to spend because the economy depends on spending. It depends on people going out and、mm-hmm. buying things and having drinks and ordering、um, meals and things like that.、Um, but what was your question again? Uh yeah I I was I didn't、Regards、pose a question spending, yeah I was just like、spending. commenting on your second reason about the economic factors that why people are so against a, a strict lockdown policy yeah so um the 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 other thing another thing that we kind of avoid talking about is the fact that you know because America is an immigrants country we. No, you guys have like immigrants from all over the world. So you have people of different ethnicity, and it has been talked a lot in the media. The Black African American people, the Black community, as well as the Latino community, are hit the most seriously in this pandemic.、Mm. And why do you think is that? Oh, it's a tough one, but、um, I will say that. It's suggested that a lot, like a lot of African Americans and Latinos, are taking more frontline jobs, more blue collar jobs, more customer service jobs, such as grocery store clerk,、mm-hmm. um, and all of these services are considered essential at the moment. So, people who stock shelves at Costco, people who deliver your food from Amazon,、mm-hmm. people who deliver your packages、um, from Amazon, from FedEx, from UPS.、Um, People who aren't necessarily making middle to middle upper class wages, or what you think of as urban professional college educated wages, they're making、um, blue collar wages, which are maybe fifteen dollars an hour, as depending on the state, down to ten dollars an hour.、Mm. 
Um, so yeah, it's suggested that a large proportion, if not a majority of these workers are Latino, um, and, and black and they, their livelihood, unlike other people, their livelihood largely depends on these jobs. Okay. Um, that's the number, that's the number one reason. And as well as nurses, it's, it suggests that many, if not a majority of nurses are Latino or black, um, as well as in nursing homes, which take care of the elderly. So mm-hmm. if you're t- if you're around the elderly um, who are especially vulnerable to this disease, it, if not more so than any other population observed, um, if you're coming into contact, if you're in a nursing home, um, you're definitely going to be um, at a higher risk of contracting the disease. Well, since you are a white guy, so it might be a little bit offensive to ask you why you know this frontline works, uh, frontline jobs such as customer service, delivery person, as well as nurses, why are they disproportionately mainly Latino people and black people? Um, well, you don't need a college education to get these jobs. You just Sometimes you don't even need a high school education okay. um, to be a delivery person or something that, like that along those lines, for example. Um, a lot of white people do take these jobs. Um, not, I mean, there's a large portion of blue collar Americans and this and um, lower class Americans who will take jobs like this. And especially college students. Mm-hmm. Um, I've took, I've taken similar jobs when I was in college, but I'm expanding my professional career beyond those positions at this point. Um, but many people depend on these jobs mm-hmm. and America has always been, it's never been a place where there's only, um, you know, white collar professionals. It's always been um, blue collar workers and then, um, lower class workers who are taking um, these hourly wage jobs. Yeah. Uh, so you you mentioned uh, you mentioned what? Uh, what what factors did you mention just now? You mentioned well, mainly you just mentioned one reason. They black people and Latino people take a lot of these frontline jobs as well as nurse jobs. What other reasons do you think there are? It's yeah, I think it mainly comes down to education and mm-hmm. the educational attainment. So I, I think a lot of these people are not getting four-year college degrees. Um, for Latinos, um, especially in California and other states, a large portion of Latinos um, are not documented. So they've, they've come to America and they haven't gone through the processes to get visas or green cards. Um, so they mainly take jobs um, that are available to them. So as um, kitchen chefs, um, construction worker, um, nurse, things like that. And so they are more exposed to the, to the virus, you are saying? Yeah, all of these, all these services are going to be more exposed because these are the services that the government has allowed to remain open throughout the pandemic because they've been considered essential services. Mm. So if you have a, a majority of Latinos and black people taking these positions in the first place, then these are, they're going to be the most exposed while white collar urban professionals. Um, and I don't mean white collar. when I say that, I don't mean by race, white collar professional can be, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. It can be anyone. We have the same term. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of these positions I know are doing online sessions now for, Mm -hmm. for their meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of friends of mine, relatives of mine are doing, uh, having online meetings because their work doesn't necessarily entail them having to be at the office. You can have online virtual meetings and that's yeah. going to be um, considered to be a thing of the future. The Zoom meetings, 
It's true. It's true. So, do you think it's also because like people have been talking about this a lot? Is it also possible that Latino people and Black people are not well、um, insured, medically insured as white people or people of other race, like Asian people? Um, I can't speak to that. I haven't seen any figures on the whether they're insured or not. I know we do have a Medicaid health and healthcare system. So if you're making below the poverty line, you can enroll in Medicaid, and pretty much all of your bills are covered.、Mm. Um, there's you enter a gray area in the lower, but not a lot of people make money below the poverty line, right? Basically, they are pe- making above the poverty line, I'm not but、sure. not like they are not rich enough to afford really expensive health insurance. Um, yeah, so Medicaid would be、um, for people who are absolutely, definitely not earning full time wage、mm-hmm. of any kind, or if they are, or if their family's big, I guess they could be making a full time wage if they're supporting the whole family and still considered in poverty, and they would apply for some benefits. So、um, there is a large portion of the lower class、um, who are above the poverty line, but still considered lower class. Um, who may not qualify for insurance benefits through their employer, or if they do qualify for、um, private insurance, it would be subsidized partially by Obamacare, but only partially.、Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is the, the lower class on average is less insured than the middle class or upper middle class or upper class. Yeah, that's just a fact of of America. But there is for people who are in absolute poverty.、Um, And absolute poverty is not what you would think of in China as absolute poverty. Absolute poverty in America is below twenty thousand dollars a year. Twenty thousand dollars a year、uh, for a whole family or for a person? For a person, it's sixteen. For a two person, I believe it's twenty. And、okay. each person you add to your family, I think it goes up. So the poverty line for like a four person family, I think, is there's a guideline on our on our、um, government website for. What the federal poverty lines are. Okay, so can you tell us, like, if you do not qualify for Medicaid, as you mentioned, Medicaid is for people earning the wages、uh, below the poverty line. So this group of people are considered like really poor. They can just go to the doctors and everything will be free. But we all know that in America, it's extremely expensive because it has been like. So ridiculously expensive that American people would actually go to Mexico to see a doctor and buy、uh, the medicine they need. The,、um, it's it's it sounds ludicrous for me. Like how can you? How can the medical system is so fucked up that you have to go to another country to get your pills and your medicines? So can you tell us like for like uh? Ordinary health insurance. I don't mean like really fancy health insurance. You have your private doctor coming to your house or、mm. whatever. I'm just talking about like the most ordinary, most、uh, common type of health insurance. If you buy it from the、uh, health insurance company, how much、yeah. does it cost per month? It's、um, in California. For, I checked because I'm enrolled in one of those. I believe it's、uh, around like $150 per month, $160. That's not that's not expensive at all. I think compared to the、uh, salary level of American people, one hundred fifty dollars is not 
expensive at all. No, it Why comes out to like $1,500 like, a year. So $1,500 per year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so like, you know, Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I personally is a fan of him. And he mentioned that actually a large proportion of American people do not have health insurance or they are heavily underinsured. Yeah. Why do you think is that? If it costs only like $150 a month, yeah. I don't think it should be a big problem. So I think what he means by underinsured is I think the deductible. So the amount you have to pay in before your insurance plan takes over. So for if you pick the cheapest option, which is going to be $150 a month, Mm-hmm. You're going to get the highest deductible, which might be $5,000, $6,000. So deductible means uh, if you get if you get hospitalized, you have to pay $5,000 first before you can be covered by the insurance company. Yeah. So I think it. it oh, that's it, a lot of money then. It varies from plan to plan, but you won't be responsible for paying this $5,000 up front. You would be responsible for paying it over a time period of payment plans. Oh. I've had like $1,000, $2,000 surgeries that I owed to certain um, medical providers that it can play, you can pay in increments. And also medical debt cannot be collected by credit mm-hmm. um, credit debt companies. So it doesn't affect your credit score, at least in California. I'm not sure about other states in the United States, but mm-hmm. um, the issue of health insurance in America is very very complicated it's a very very complicated yeah, issue yeah indeed and i don't know if i would um encapsulate this issue or try and encompass this this issue of pandemics and minority groups in america as being attributed solely to medical coverage or not getting the proper medical coverage because um you can also go to the er without any medical coverage you can call the ambulance and you will have to be you will have to eventually pay for him. But again, um, a medical debt, to the best of my knowledge, does not is not a debt that's collected by creditors. It doesn't okay. affect your credit score. Mm. Um, yeah, So, but it's a very complex issue. It's a very complicated issue. I, I don't think anyone has an answer as to all of the questions I just asked. Like, why is the minority group um, in America is hit the most seriously and, and I'm not what, sure what is going on with their medical insurance and what is going on with the whole medical insurance um, situation in America. Many people it's have suggested that um, minority groups in America also highly um, have a high propensity to do have other pre-existing conditions that may be comorbidities for the COVID-19 and comorbidity is something that exists that may contribute to death, falling, um, falling to a fatality um, from this illness. Uh, such as what? Such as condition you um, type two diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, obesity. Um, as you know, America is one of the highest has a, one of the highest obesity rates in the world. And, yeah, uh, but you know, according like within our knowledge range we also came to understand that some of these people suffer from obesity because they eat a lot well naturally they eat a lot of uh, fast food like 
probably a lot of soda with a bunch of sugar in it. Yeah. And、um, it is also understood within our knowledge that probably because those things are actually cheaper than the healthy food in America, such as the organic vegetables, good meat.、Mm. You know, those things are way much cheaper. Fried chicken,、uh, coke,、yeah. with 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 bunch of sugar. Well, let's let's talk about so. The last study that I read said that ninety percent of the cases, I believe it was in New York, ninety percent of the fatal cases of COVID nineteen, in ninety percent of these cases, there was a factor of obesity or being overweight, which、mm. is above your body mass index, which、okay. is an indication of an unhealthy lifestyle or unhealthy body,、um, meaning that there's there's too much body fat, obviously. So、um, there's some science behind that, such as COVID nineteen.、Um, Spreads in such a way to the fat cells of the body and accumulates in the fat cells, or something to that effect.、Um, I'm not entirely sure, but it has something yeah, to do、I、with fat cells. I has I heard something like that too. They say actually the virus can dwell in the fat. Yeah. In your body, so basically, if you are a little bit overweighted, you are definitely more susceptible to the coronavirus than those people who don't have a lot of fat on their body. So that's one of the major reasons why these big people. Mm. Uh, overweighted people are hit、uh, worse than the other groups of people. Yeah, and like we said earlier, I mean, you can look at the statistics. I think、uh, minorities are more predisposed to having、um, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, and obesity.、Um, Do you think it's a financial thing? Is a financial issue? Because they don't have enough money to buy the healthy food, or do you think it's just more related to their life habits and different lifestyle? It's hard to say because they say the stress of living in、um, a lower income community、um, hinders your your ability to make good choices. Under it's shown that under stress, people make worse choices. So if you're under、mm. stress, you're not making a lot of money. You're constantly stressed out. Um, you're not making the best choices in general. You're not really thinking of things in a long-term、uh, way. That's at least what the、um, studies on stress have shown, and the stress associated with living in a lower income. However,、um, on a on an observational level, eating things that are unhealthy is actually not cheaper. And there's there's something called. A Can you give us an, a, a specific example, like how much? A fried chicken set would cost, and how much, like you know, some other healthy food would cost. Can you give us a specific example? Because you proposed、yeah. that actually eating fast food is not necessarily cheaper、yeah. than eating healthy. So just yesterday, for example, we ate at Chick Fil A, is one one of the most popular American、um, restaurants, and、uh, a meal there for a fried chicken meal costs something along the lines of.、Um, Ten dollars, and that's going to give you fries. That's going to give you a fried chicken sandwich, and it's going to give you a tall soda.、Mm-hmm. Um, if you add up the calories, and let's say you don't get a diet soda, if you add up the calories in this meal of a large diet, a large soda,、um, a fried chicken sandwich, and、um, fries, that's、mm-hmm. going to be somewhere along the lines of fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred calories. Fifteen hundred calories. Wow, that's that's, that's probably someone your size who's five foot two. And so and so pounds is probably、um, it's probably more than you need for an entire day. Maybe that's even- definitely more than I need for an entire day. Because like、yeah. I used to study in Japan, and、yeah. Japanese people pay very close attention to how much calories they're taking every day. Yeah. Even though I just eat at the students' cafe in the university,
uh, after I check out, I pay my money and they're going to give me a receipt mm -hmm. which says, well, how much vegetables, how much meat, mm -hmm. and how much uh, carbohydrates. Yeah. And in total, how many calories you have been take, uh, you will be taking from this meal that you just bought. Yeah. So basically, uh, for one meal, like uh, for a proper lunch, it's gonna be around, I would say, six hundred calories to seven hundred calories, mm -hmm. and it is recommended for girls. Uh, you would take around from five hundred calories to seven hundred calories. So if you take per like, day or per 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 meal, per yeah, meal, even so, five hundred to seven hundred. Five hundred to seven hundred. If yeah. you surpass the seven hundred line, you are taking more than you need. Yeah. But if you take below five hundred, well, then you're not taking enough for what you need. Yeah. So, so exactly. So, if we look at just the meal from Chick Fil A, which is actually one of the healthier fast food restaurants in America. I mean, mm -hmm. KFC, it may be even more calories per meal. Mm -hmm. um, McDonald's, depending on what you get, maybe even more calories. Um, Chick Fil A has some healthy options and. Um, you can minimize the amount of calories that you take in, but still, this is a ten dollar meal. This is an eleven dollar meal. Yeah, yeah. Back to the it's, price thing. If you yeah. if you do the math, if you go to Costco and you get beans and rice, Costco is one of the uh, most popular um, grocery store chains in America. It's pretty popular in Japan now, and it's becoming popular in China. Yeah, we we just have a new Costco opening in Shanghai. It's popular because you can buy things in bulk. You can buy large quantities of things. And when you buy things in large quantities, you're reducing the, the cost per pound or the cost per uh, kilogram, whatever you want to use. And basically, if you, you can buy things to where you're averaging out your cost per meal um, to around a dollar in America. So you can buy a large mass of meat, uh, beef, vegetables, whatever you want, any number of things, um, berries, and pretty much you're going to average out if you buy all of your meals from Costco, you're going to average out at like around a dollar per meal. Wow, that's amazing. So, is it possible because you buy if you buy things as as uh, if we buy things as you suggest from Costco, uh because all of the things are packed in large bulk. Yeah. So if you buy meat, you buy vegetables, you buy fruits and stuff like that. Yeah. When you check out, it's going to cost around like 100 or even more. Mm. But people, you know, as we mentioned, who consume a lot of fast food and have diabetes problems, maybe they don't have this $100 to pay for their grocery. Maybe they just have like $10 and you cannot actually buy a lot of things with just $10 from Costco. I don't think that's the case. I think because if, you, if you're buying fast food every day um, and you're feeding your whole family with fast food, that's going to be like $50 per meal per uh, fast food. And that's a lot of money to be throwing out for food. And this is, you can spend $120 in Costco and have enough food for a whole month. Oh, yeah, that's um, true. So, you know, fast food, that spending that way is only going to get you enough food for maybe a $120 will last you like four days or something like that for two meals a day, two big meals a day. So it's it's really, I think what the science has decided is that it's really a matter of culture and it's a matter of are people in poverty and people in lower incomes, are they making the right choices um, on a cultural level because they don't understanding because they don't have the knowledge because they're not learning these things in school, even though the U.S. public school systems generally does teach nutrition classes. Or is it a matter of um, stress and how stress is related to neural development? Mm. 
-hmm. And it's stress causes you to make worse short-term decisions and think of every time on a short-term survival basis rather than a long-term basis, um, a long-term survival basis. Oh, that's very interesting topic. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? <laughs> I wish I could, but I'm not a neurologist. And okay. I, I did read about this before, and I have seen documentaries where um, the stress of poverty, the stress of being in low incomes leads you to do things, survive in such a way and make decisions in such a way because yeah. your neocortex, what you need um, to make long-term decisions and rational decisions isn't developing um, in, in these communities um, as you would in a non-stress environment. If you grow up in a middle class or upper middle class or even blue collar, you're not going to have so much stress um, mm. related to survival as you are in a lower income or a poverty inclined um, community. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. Just long, uh, not long time ago, I was explaining this text. So it was college English lesson. I was explaining this text on stress. And the title, I forgot the title, but mainly it talks about the correlation between stress and disease. Mm -hmm. It actually tells us it has been scientifically proven uh, when you are under a lot of stress, a lot of uh, prolonged stress. Yeah. So you are under constant stress. Your immune system is going to decrease. You are more susceptible to all kinds of disease, such as cancer. Yeah. So actually, the stress doesn't cause cancer directly, but it definitely has an influence in whether you get cancer or yeah. not eventually. It's, and you were just talking about the stress that make people make uh, that lead people to make bad choices just now here. Yeah. So I guess stress is really bad. It's yeah, stress as scientists have been discovering, um, stress is one of the biggest contributors to chronic disease such as heart disease, mm. um, cancer, um, you know, stroke, uh, any number of diseases um, are associated with stress, uh, negative moods, depression. Um, all these things can be traced back to stress. Yeah, it can lower your immune functioning, which is one of the things that helps protect against COVID. Um, that's why it's really important to emphasize more and more uh, academics and more and more researchers are emphasizing the importance of um, activities such as meditation, such as mindfulness, mm. um, exercise, for example. Um, yeah, I was about to ask you whether you have some suggestions for our audience to you know, re reduce the stress level in their lives. Because mm -hmm. we know, like, modern people, it's almost like one of your, like, natural, ordinary status of living under a lot of, this, a lot of stress, whether it's financial stress, uh, craving for success stress, or kinds of stress. It's like a natural status. You just live under a lot of stress. So you mentioned meditation is going to help. Exercise definitely helps because I have, like, personal experience. Yeah. And Exercise may alleviate the symptoms of stress and may prevent stress in a way, but I think meditation and uh, something like yoga or mindfulness, there's a wide variety of meditation. There's tai Chi is a type of meditation. Yeah, sure. Um, but the thing is with meditation, you're, you're kind of um, opening up the field of consciousness and examining where your stress is coming from. And that's something that doesn't always happen with exercise. Um, so when you examine what is creating all the stress in your life, it may be a very deep, uh, pro problematic trauma from, from your past, or it may be a current thing that's been nagging you 
or maybe it's a test that's coming up and you know a certain amount of stress is part of human life like you should be a little stressed out um in your job you should be a little stressed out before a big exam or a big challenge everyone gets a little bit stressed out but um certain ways of thinking about things and certain approaches to life um and certain uh relationships can create too much stress certain jobs certain bosses can create too much stress and you've all heard stories of people who had to quit their jobs because the stress was actually deteriorating their body or making their hair fall out or creating so much stress in a job that they just aren't comfortable with or a boss they aren't comfortable with to where they had to quit this job mm. and and find different things so and the interesting thing here is actually you know well my personal experience is personal experiences um when i am actually under a lot of stress for example i'm taking a competition uh when i'm not under a lot of stress for example i just i just took part in this competition and no one actually knew i was there so i was just like okay i'm gonna play this whole thing i'm gonna rock and roll but i don't care like how the final result is gonna be mm-hmm. and that is when i perform the best mm-hmm. but if i went to a competition because i personally have this com- uh this experience yeah when i actually went to a competition my boss is under there is you know in the audience uh is among the audience yeah. and uh i was shouldering a lot of expectations from people i knew like my friends my colleagues yeah i was under so much stress that i couldn't uh play my best performance mm-hmm. and that is when i did so poorly so in a certain way i just think stress doesn't actually help yeah. but it's just like people cannot avoid the stress in their life Like yeah. even even though they know stress is not good, I don't want to live under stress, but it's just the way it is. Yeah. So everyone experiences some stress, but you can't let stress rule your life, or it's going to distract your relationships. It's going to distract your performance and anything. So you can take the example of like UFC martial artists.、Mm-hmm. Um, the stakes are very high. Unlike a, a lecturing competition or something that you've engaged in, or if I've I've engaged in, the stakes are even higher. The martial arts competition because your life. Wait, wait, wait.、Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I don't think every、uh, listener of our program know what UFC is. Can you introduce U- a little bit about this、uh, sports? UFC is one of the biggest martial arts、uh, organizations. What would be the full name?、Uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championship was established in America in the 1990s, and the whole goal is to see which martial arts compete the best against other martial arts.、Um, Over time, it developed into this thing, its own sport, where people are using a vast variety of disciplines:、um, wrestling from American wrestling,、mm-hmm. um, sambo from Russia,、mm-hmm. um, let's see, Wing Chun, Wing Chun from、um, Southern China, Wing Chun,、um, Wing Chun, or、um, karate from、uh, Japan. And yeah, I'm pretty sure、uh, there are a lot of martial arts involved in this sport from China, like. The kung fu, like the traditional、yeah. Chinese martial arts, yeah, kung and fu. And we we have some Chinese、um, fighters. Do do you call them fighters or athletes? Um, you can call them fighters or athletes. Definitely. Um, I think technically what they are is martial artists, though, because they're using um the art of fighting as、mm. an art form. They're understanding、yeah. this on a very philosophical and fundamental level in order to compete. So they're technically considered as like Bruce Lee would be considered a martial artist、hmm. at heart. We have some Chinese fighters or martial arts artists. 
like Zhang, uh, Zhang Weili. Yeah, competing uh, she, in the UFC. Yeah, she is the uh, champion, right? Yeah, she's the champion, and she's still the champion. Yeah. Uh, of the uh, women's UFC fighting. Yeah, and as you and can imagine, we also have some fighters uh, for the mayor fighters from Xinjiang province, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. There's mm-hmm. been some popular um, East Asian combatants over the years. There's uh, Conor McGregor from Ireland, who's one of the most popular martial artists in the world. Um, anyway, this sport entails a lot of adrenaline and a lot of stress, as you may assume. You have you're training for six months uh-huh. for for one competition. Um, that so you have six months of preparation, all for a single twenty five minutes to demonstrate your abilities, and the stakes are extremely high because it's not just a matter of if you fail, you'll just walk away. You can actually get seriously hurt, or you can get knocked out, um, which is terrible for your brain. So. Um, in order to cope with that, a lot of these guys have uh, psychologists on staff to prevent stress from consuming their training. Um, stress can affect their body in a profound way and, and, and influence the way they train, um, and it can really take away from their performance. So they have to try their best to get their nerves and their stress under control and their mental health good so that they have confidence um, and that they have I feel like they have support going into the octagon in order to compete. Um, that's just another example of, you know, how stress can affect our performance and how it's best to really get control of our stress and, and help marginalize it. So it's not consuming our, our lives and our performance in life. Okay. Well, I guess so much talk about the, uh, stress. So, um, final question. Let's come back to the discussion of the pandemic. Well, we... I personally think your president, Donald Trump, kind of um, messed up the whole thing in dealing with the pandemic. Do you think Donald Trump will get reelected? Because the election is coming up in November this year. But some people are talking about postponing the election day. Um, I highly doubt the election is going to be postponed. Um, that's also... Begs, there has been discussions around it. It begs the question of constitutionality again, and I, I highly doubt. That. Okay, so you are saying the election is happening in November. I believe so, yeah. And do you think Donald Trump will get it reelected? <laughs> that's a lot. That's a um, personal. Profound. Well, of course, it's a personal opinion. Personally, I think he'll get it reelected because, again, this is not an American problem. This is something that originated in China. Blame can be placed on China's handling for this, for letting it. Why did China let it get out of their borders to begin with? Um, so that's something that a Trump supporter or even an American in general, an independent voter, can say. Well, Trump, you know, he he's taking this this problem, this pandemic, which was originally from China. It wasn't created within our borders. It's a foreign problem, and so it's hard to attribute all the blame to Trump for that. And again, Europe has been hit in catastrophic ways as well and europe has a wide variety of political positions on this there's there's right-leaning governments there's left-leaning governments in europe so it's hard to really i i i and literally i mean no matter what you say no matter what you say well the origin of the virus is it's not like, a matter of what i say should, it's a matter you should of remember what... that donald trump actually at different in different occasions said the same thing, the virus is going to disappear like a miracle. He said this in February, in March, and even 
in April when、yeah. the whole situation was already very bad. He was still saying, "I think the virus is going to go away yeah, miraculously. It's, it's just going to disappear." So it's totally disinformation. Not to mention that he did such a lousy job in handling the whole situation. You still think he's going to get reelected? It's yeah. Again, like I said, this is not something that has only catastrophically hit America. It's hit Europe.、Um, it's not a Trump issue. You can't say because it also hit Europe. So America is not doing such a bad job, and our president will still not, get reelected. I'm not saying we're not doing such a bad job, but even in situations where American leaders can personally be held responsible for the cause of the conditions of their of their policies, such as George W. Bush's Iraq War, which is Widely regarded in America as a catastrophic,、um, ethically questionable war that was initiated by the George W. Bush、uh, administration, and again in 2004, George Bush was reelected because it's very hard to convince people that、um, the incumbent president is at fault for the situation when you can blame、uh, terrorism, for example, in the case of Iraq War.、Mm-hmm. It's vague. I'm not saying that's a justification for. For the invasion of Iraq, I'm saying that it's very easy to attribute that. I think in this case, I think Donald Trump has it a lot easier than George W. Bush because, unlike George W. Bush, Trump did not initiate a pandemic. He did not ask for a pandemic, and he's not the only one. He's not the only country. There's been dozens and dozens of countries hit by this pandemic, which that's exactly what originated he has been doing all this within、days. the borders like, of China. He. Kind of like you know, unanimously with his people in this administration, all of them are blaming China for the whole situation. Even though the virus started from Wuhan, China, it does not justify what a lousy job he has done、I、in America. You have the CDC, you have the best、um, technology, the medical. Uh, technology. You have all of the best things because of his lousy decisions to cut me- down the budget, to disband the、uh, pandemic preparation group. Yeah. And National Security his, Council. This, yeah, his disinformation about the virus would just disappear like a miracle. Yeah. You you just you you don't think this president should be held accountable for the whole situation? No, I'm not saying he shouldn't be held. Accountable. I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm talking about things in a sociological way. How society and how American voters are going to interpret this situation. I'm saying,、okay. me personally, I think Trump did not handle this well. I think Barack Obama probably would have done a better job.、Mm-hmm. I don't think America would have been scot free of any virus under Barack Obama. I think we would have been hit、um, maybe as hard as some European countries. I just think Obama's approach would have been more. Um, resounding and more、um, towards the advice of the experts,、mm-hmm. and I think that's the opposite of what Donald Trump has done. I think, me personally, I don't think Donald Trump has done a great job at all. I think he maybe did one thing good, which was to block、um, immigration from China in late January.、Um, but other than that, I'm just talking about the. Sociological consequences of what's going on, and I think yeah. So you were trying to tell us how the American voters view the whole thing and how they will think about the whole thing when they actually vote, and when we, they are actually going to be voting again in November. What well, what we, again? Thing, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about America as a whole? We can't say the American voters are a monolith 
because there's a wide variety. So how how have Trump voters has Trump lost support because of this pandemic? His, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, uh, data shows that he hasn't. Uh, he's not as popular as Joe Biden anymore because Joe Biden's. We can't uh, definitively say like that. 40, 47, and his uh, support rate is 46. Well, no, there's a, there's a large swath of polls that have come out. They, they, <laughs> okay. They're on a state-by-state -state basis, first of all. So it's America, when we vote, it's not a collective vote. It's a state-by-state -state vote. Yeah. You have to win a certain number of states to win. So Trump only has to win all of the states that already vote Republican anyway, plus a couple ones that are called purple states. So they're independent leaning states so they could go either way so, uh, explain what is purple state so a blue state is considered democratic that means mm -hmm. for the past four or five elections they voted democrat back to 1980 a red state is a state has done the same thing except for voting republican okay for the past four or five and a purple state is a state that's in transition so it might used to be red and now more liberal leaning class of people have immigrated there Mm -hmm. And it's becoming more neutral. So it's just, it's up to the um, people there, like, whether they're going to be Republican or Democrat depends on how many Democrats go out to vote on that particular day, on November 6th. Okay. Yeah, the whole, like, well, I, um, I mean, with all respect, Donald Trump has turned into a joke for the yeah. whole world. And I'm just saying it it's very surprising. hard. He he has his own support, so he has his own. Support. He's never going to get the Democratic support. Yeah, he has his own support. It's all yeah. about these purple or independent voters, whatever you want to call them, in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania and Michigan. Have those people switched, or are they going to stay with Trump? I don't think the pandemic that originated in China and came here inevitably um, is enough to sway those voters away from supporting Donald Trump, especially when you have a candidate like Joe Biden, who's not particularly strong. He doesn't, he appears weak. He appears that he's not a good orator. So he's not speaking in a very coherent way. And he's definitely, um, not to be ageist or anything, but he's definitely shown some, uh, mental decline over the past 30 years. So, when it comes down to that, I don't think the, the COVID-19 pandemic is going to be enough, especially when it clears up over the summer, as pandemics tend to do, tend to break out in the winter. Um, I don't think the COVID-19 pandemic is enough um, to sway these voters away from Trump. Maybe I'm wrong, but I honestly don't think it's going to be enough. Just well, like Just like the Iraq war, even the Iraq war, which was caused by the George W. Bush administration, I don't think that was enough to sway people to John Kerry. And I definitely don't think COVID-19 because it's not a domestic issue. It's an issue that arose overseas and um, came into our country. Well, I mean, people in EU, China already predict, uh, predicted that Donald Trump is going to win again this year in November because they are making more of those uh, campaign flags and campaign hats yeah. of Donald Trump more than... Uh, those campaign uh, items for Joe Biden. So yeah. I saw some news and some reports on that, and they say that people from EU, Zhejiang, China, actually are predicting that Donald Trump is going to win again in November's election this year. Mm. So, um, and I also read a book recently called Win Bigly. It's written by a, a guy named Scott Adams. And he mentioned several theories 
as to the uh, 2016 election mm-hmm. of Donald, between Donald Trump against uh, Hillary Clinton. He was one of the earliest predictors who predicted that Donald Trump is going to win, because at those in those days, back in those days, very very few people actually took Donald Trump very seriously as a presidential candidate. He said a lot of outrageous things. He even mocked people, mocked disabled people, and he、mm. said a lot of like stupid、uh, things、uh, as political. Presidential candidate, but according to the analysis of this book, Scott Scott Adam actually proposed that Donald Trump was doing that on purpose because Donald Trump was very good at persuading people. He mastered certain skills that are very necessary to actually win in the final election, including he was trying to. Close the distance between him as a candidate、mm. with those voters, American ordinary people,、yeah. and he was、uh, saying a lot of crazy things, but not because he doesn't actually know what the right thing, no, not because he didn't know the right thing to say, but because he intentionally said these crazy things so、yeah. that all of the media stream, all of the attention could be concentrated on himself. And that is exactly the kind of attention, the kind of topic,、uh, the kind of、um, heated discussion that he wanted. And eventually, this actually take effect, and he won in two thousand sixteen. Um. So the whole book was about the persuasion skills. Yeah, I know. I know who you're referring to, and it has been contested. I've heard him talk on other podcasts. That author,、uh, mm-hmm. such as the Sam Harris Making Sense podcast. Um, it is hard to concisely say whether or not what Donald Trump is thinking, because after all, Donald Trump's the only one who knows what Donald Trump is thinking.、Um, as to whether he had a mastermind approach to how he won the election, or he just went on a whim and started saying what the first thing that came to mind,、okay. I believe it's a big combination of both. I think he does tend to be that guy in general who just says whatever comes to his mind.、Mm. It may be offensive. It may not. Because after all, that is kind of a New Yorker's mentality to begin with. We're not. A New What York- is the New Yorker's mentality? New Yorker's mentality is: I'm gonna wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm gonna show you how I feel. And if you don't like it, then fuck you. Really? And usually, <laughs> and usually, that doesn't mean a New Yorker or someone from New Jersey is going to set out to harm somebody. That just means well, I'm not gonna. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of a Japanese approach, right? Because、okay. a Japanese approach would be to conceal all of the emotions, conceal all of things, and just put on a face that may be friendly or, you know, maybe charming. Well, York- well, I, I can't say I can't I can't say I agree with you because that sounds like a very biased generalization. I'm not trying to, to generalize. To say that the niceness and kindness presented by Japanese people are actually kind of fake. I'm not saying that it's fake or whatever. Whatever you want to do, it's it's mainly that. It's mainly that. Your Japanese people would be reluctant, even if they were thinking something, to say something that might hurt somebody's feelings because they'd rather not encounter that. Uh, conversation or encounter that、um, relate in their relationship. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But in the in the case of someone from the East Coast, as opposed to other parts of America, the Northeast, the、um, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia area, even Boston, 
Um, these people tend to be more rugged. They tend to be more wearing their heart on their sleeves. So saying what they believe, um, whether it's you think it's good or bad is really irrelevant. And I don't care if you're offended. That's what I'm going to say. That doesn't mean they share the same beliefs as Donald Trump, but the same approach to sharing what they believe is similar. It's like, I believe this. And if you don't like it, then it's too bad. Um, I, I, I totally agree with, I mean, you definitely know more about the East Coast people's mentality than I do. You definitely know more about it than I do. What I read in this book is uh, Scott Adams, the author, proposed a theory. He said this is one of the negotiation skills that business people used a lot in their negotiations in business transactions. They will say something that is so outrageous that surprises you so much at the beginning. And then they would kind of uh, back off, budging a little bit mm. in the real decision. And because you have been, you have already been so shocked and so surprised at the very beginning. So when you actually listen to the second proposal, you were like, wow, that's so much better. I'm just going to take it. Interesting. But at the very beginning of this negotiator, he already had in his mind what he actually want. And this theory has been proved recently concerning Donald Trump's immigration regulations uh immigration like actions recently because uh-huh. because of the covid-19 pandemic donald trump said um we want to protect the domestic workers and we're going to suspend the green card application for at least two months and it depends on the development of the whole situation and then we will decide whether we're going to extend this ban or we're going to stop it uh-huh. so and I remember watching that conference, specifically one journalist asked him, Are you, when you said that you're going to suspend the green card application, do you mean this suspense is going to be applied to all kinds of application or are there going to be exemptions? Do you know what his answer is? Mm. He took a very vague approach. He said uh, the specific details will come out later we're going to give you specific details later but i can tell you this is very very serious uh very very serious immigration suspense Mm. and the influence is going to be very very big that's what he said and then when it actually came out and you read into the details of this whole thing you found out that there are a lot of exemptions and the biggest exemption are people who are already in the United States. Yeah. So this suspense only applies to people who are outside America. Yeah. And also it doesn't apply to people who are like relevant relatives, uh, direct relatives, sorry, direct relatives of American citizens, such as your spouse, your, your child. And that's um, it, yeah. yeah your, your spouse and your child. Um, it doesn't apply to them either. Yeah. So when you actually look at the details you and you listen to his vague uh big big influence speech you 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 feel like wow um it is actually more acceptable you know than it is supposed to be So I guess you know this whole incident this whole this one anecdote kind of um kind of testifies the theory proposed by Scott Adams in his book 
about the negotiation skills of Donald Trump. That yeah, that may be something he developed、um, over decades of doing business in New York City. Obviously, you need to be very assertive and aggressive of, of doing business in New York City.、Um, but as to his relationship with his voters and how that developed, I'm sure there was some、um, insight and intuition as to what these people want to hear.、Mm-hmm. You can see that in him. Adopting Christian values and abor- values on abortion that he never previously held,、mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious he was、uh, placating to them on that level, and he, he totally doesn't have any concern about religion or any concern about abortion rights.、Um, but as to the overall Trump phenomenon, I don't think it can be explained away by this.、Uh, it's like an、uh, evil mastermind who's just. Planning out and mapping out every possible outcome and every possible angle, I think it's more of just a businessman、um, who likes to say what's on his mind. He doesn't really care if he offends people, and he tends to have.、Um, he might be di- be able to be diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> no, I'm、what、not is, kidding. What is narcissistic personality? You are literally saying that your president. Is a mentally challenged person who has mental no, issues. No, mentally challenged is not the right word.、And、okay, who has mental issues? Because narcissistic, I mean, narcissistic personality. It's very sounds like you need to see a psychologist. It sounds like you need to go go to a clinic and talk to a psychologist. Well, whether it's Donald Trump or not, I mean, some of our most famous presidents have had mental health conditions that there was a stigma around in the time, but in American society. Um, there's becoming less of a stigma around mental health, and maybe he has narcissistic personality disorder.、Um, maybe a lot of people in power have narcissistic personality disorder. Maybe a lot of people who, maybe it's proclivity、um, to be a person of power when you have this narcissistic personality disorder. You know, that just might be the case because、um, they tend to be very egocentric. They tend to be always talking about themselves. They did. D-、uh, Tend to view themselves as victims. You can see a lot of similar patterns in Hitler. That's not. I'm, I'm not saying that Trump is as sadistic as Hitler, but I'm saying in the in the form of egocentrism and the form of playing the victim,、um, and and talking to his supporters directly, you could see some similarities between the two. Okay. Um. Yeah, I guess so. I guess like Trump is very narcissistic. Yeah, he's definitely narcissistic, and he definitely fits a lot. If you look at the diagnoses in the DSM manual, which is the psycho- psychological manual、um, for diagnosing mental illness, he definitely has a lot of those traits. Well,、um, that's too bad because you're gonna have a narcissist for you pre- as your president for another four years. How does that feel? <laughs> if,、um, <laughs> sometimes it can be humorous, and sometimes it can be really annoying, and.、Um, Sometimes you know. Sometimes you have to balance those two things. I know that because you are, you consider yourself as liberal. Um, I consider myself as economically. I'm actually. I consider myself independent. Oh,、uh, independent. Yeah. So you, you you don't consider yourself either as a Democrat or, uh, nor do you consider yourself as a Republic. You consider yourself as an independent. Do you think Donald Trump? In the past four years, as the president of the United States, actually has influenced your way of living, like your lives in general, in any way. Um, it's hard to say. He did want to repeal Obamacare at one point, and 
that affects me personally because I qualify for um, some benefits from Obamacare. So, yeah, in certain ways I could be affected. I know that he might have lifted taxes on um, middle-class Americans, Mm -hmm. which entails me. And, um, yeah, there's ways in which he benefited me. I mean, he lifted a lot of taxes on companies, which may result in short-term gains in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Maybe long term suffering in the stock market. It's hard. It's really hard to say um, how exact. I think only history and time will tell how. Um, and that won't even give us a resolute picture because there's past presidents and we don't. We can't. Historians can't precisely say how they affected individual Americans for sure. Yeah, we can give proposals of how you know Ronald Reagan may have um, his supply side economics or the easing of taxes, um, trickle down economics may have affected um, middle-class Americans and widened the gap in inequality. But I don't know if we can directly attribute single policies, uh, how they individually affect every American. Um, It's a very hard thing to do. And a lot of people in history and politics and economics have a lot of trouble with things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the stock market. Well, as far as I know, actually before the pandemic, up until... Jan- uh, March, the middle of March. Uh, the stock market in America was doing pretty good, actually, better than it has ever been doing. So, we, we, well, although I don't like Donald Trump, we have to attribute his policies and his efforts to this, you know, this flourishment in the stock market. And, uh, they but, usually correlate the two. We can't say how you know it's very it's a very hard economic question to say how these two things are correlated. I mean, it's pretty well, obvious I, that if we see that a, a you know a certain person became was elected as the president of this country, and this country has do has been doing very very good in its stock market, then yeah. there must be a correlation. Let's just say there is a correlation here. Yeah, and the pandemic was almost like a a black swan. For, and so, for for those of you guys who don't know what a black swan a black swan is, well, there's a famous writer called Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and he used to work in Wall Street, and he actually successfully predicted the 2008 financial crisis, and he actually summarized all of his insights and opinions in this one book called The Black Swan. Mm. Focusing, swan, not swine. 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 Uh, focusing to talk about those incidents that are generally regarded as having very, very, very little probability of happening, such as the 2008 financial crisis. Nobody, nobody predicted it. Mm. Everyone thought, well, our real estate property, our finance is doing great. Yeah. And so I guess we can say this pandemic was kind of like a black swan for American people. I, I wouldn't say it's a black swan for American people. I think it, it's a black swan for the world and yeah, yeah, how, world. how pandemics emerge and how we should treat them. But I think the preventative actions are more important. Mm. Uh, not to get into a whole other thing. Um, but this is not like the 2008 crisis because that was a particularly issue that dealt with American banking and how what's the root cause of the of the economic issue it's 
its um, subprime mortgages mm -hmm. and how their faulty um, credit ratings for these mortgages. And um, that's a, an American problem with the banking institution in America. And that caused a worldwide crisis. And, but we look at the pandemic, it's the lack of regulation again, but not with banks, but with how we deal with um, the handling of food and food safety throughout the world, whether it's China or Thailand or Hong Kong or anything, the, you know, the markets that exist in China that led to this pandemic, um, it's quite clear that there was a cross contamination between species. And that's what allowed the virus to hop from species to species and eventually humans. That's just a lack of, it's a simple lack of food safety regulations. Regulations yeah. that exist in Europe, exist in America, exist um, in most modern economies and most modern countries. It has been suggested um, by all of the medical institutes, people should wash hands, keep social distance, wear a mask when they go out. As an environmental engineer, do you, concerning the food safety you know, how you handle your food. Do you have any specific practical suggestions for our listeners? Well, with regards to, I mean, it varies. How, it, how you handle meat? From household to restaurant. I think the most, if you want to prevent yourself from getting sick from diseases such as E. coli or salmonella. I'm just saying, generally speaking, how we should pay more attention to the way we handle our meat. Because, you know... um, I come from an ordinary Chinese family and my I remember my mom doesn't pay any attention to like how she yeah. handles the meat. I saw him I saw her using the same board yeah. to chop meat and then she wouldn't wash the meat off before she used it again to chop some vegetables. Yeah. Of course Chinese people cook everything. That's a really good thing because in in western countries you guys eat a lot of like salad. Yeah. And eat, like in Japan you they even eat raw meat. Yeah. Like raw chicken and raw fish. But in China we cook everything. So that's that's a good thing, but I specifically saw my mom didn't pay attention to the yeah. uh, board and how she handles the meat. Well, as an environmental engineer, well, you do who, guys, who, can who I ask pays you a, a lot of attention? Huh? Can I ask you a question? Do you guys, when you take in high school, so when we have high school in America, we most have home economics class. Um, so it's called home ec or food ec or food and nutrition, any number of these names. And you, what, 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 what do they teach you in these uh, classes? Um, they were originally de developed for females who didn't want to participate in gym, but now in the modern society um, – Pretty much all boys and girls take a home ec class because it's a required um, course. And you, some people take it in college, but in high school, it's definitely a required course for a lot of high schools in America. And they just teach you very basic food handling safety principles as, as well as nutrition. Mm. Um, so one of the things you learn... Um, we don't have such class. Well, one of the things we learn in this class in America is if you're cutting with meat on a board, cut with all the meat, put the meat in a plastic bowl... And either wash this board or knife or use a separate knife and a separate board for cutting vegetables. Mm. Um, and the contagions may not, with this kind of transmission, are not usually something like COVID. Although I guess this could certainly help with COVID with the people who are handling um, the meat used in these markets. Um, but it, it, it mainly pertains to salmonella, which comes from chicken and I believe and trichinosis, which is, comes from pork. And E. coli, which comes from beef, and um, 
you know, if you're not washing your hands in between cutting, if you're using the same board, if you're using the same knife, um, this can develop foodborne illness, which could leave you sick for weeks, months. Mm -hmm. You might need to get hospital treatment. Yeah, I, I know that because, you know, there is a place called Kyushu in Japan. Mm. And Kyushu is very famous for, first of all, it's ramen. It's noodle, Japanese-style noodle. Mm -hmm. And second for, uh, secondly, for its chicken. Mm -hmm. And in a certain place in Kyushu, the restaurants actually offer raw chicken, yeah. which is crazy, which sounds crazy. But some people were like, okay, we are now in Kyushu. Is there anything that is totally different that we can try? Yeah. And most of the local people would recommend them to go to the restaurant and order some raw chicken. Yeah. One of my friends tried it. He came back. Actually, he tried it with one of his French friends. So two of them tried it. Mm -hmm. Both of them got seriously ill. Oh, seriously really? ill. It was there was diarrhea. There was vomiting. Mm. Uh, we, we didn't know. Oh, there was also heat and fever. Oh wow. We didn't know, like what was going on with your with his body. But he was like, well, maybe it has something to do with the chicken because yeah. both me and that French guy had the same system, uh, yeah. same symptoms. Sorry, symptoms as vomiting, as fever, as uh, diarrhea. And he went to the uh, clinic. He went to the doctor. The doctor gave him maybe antibiotic. Yeah. And the symptoms disappeared maybe after three or four days. Yeah. So the serious symptoms actually lasted for quite a long time. Yeah. I just couldn't believe like people would actually offer that in restaurants. Yeah. And actually people would actually try. Uh, he told me it was actually a popular dish in Kyushu. I don't know what was going on over there, but definitely this is a this is something you can get in Kyushu. Yeah, poultry is regarded as a meat that should not be eaten raw the same with pork, but beef can be eaten raw as long as the surface is, as long as the surfaces have not made contact with mm -hmm. um, any contaminated surface for whatever reason i don't know the exact scientific reasons but poultry and pork is almost what is poultry poultry is any kind of um bird animal oh okay yeah so turkey chickens mm -hmm. um maybe quail um yeah so but that's regard to individual contamination and the risk of individual foodborne illness but when we're talking about something like covid i think the issue is largely with industrial or large scale um you know farming and ex especially the combination of having these practices in markets and they're not very regulated and on top of it you're getting exotic animals for whatever reason whether it's for chinese traditional medicine or because someone wants to try some exotic meat or you know because it looks cool and different because it tastes good Whatever reason, the combination of bringing exotic animals, having these exotic animals stored in the same facilities, mm -hmm. um, whatever it's pangolin, whether it's, um, you know, some kind of chicken, if, if the chickens are coming into contact with uh, a pangolin, well, then the virus can transmit from this wild animal and it can come onto the chicken. And then these animals are then butchered and cut right there in the same market that that creates another problem because when you butcher something that gives a further possibility for contamination from the fluids um, that you created by butchering this animal it can go on your skin 
um, you know, maybe the fluids fall into the street, they're picked up by somebody's shoe. Um, it's just a very recipe. For, it's a large recipe for um, a disaster for a pandemic. Okay. So I guess apart from washing your hands, wearing a mask, the other important thing is not to try this exotic food. I know that it's actually kind of popular in like some of the southern provinces, yeah. such as Canton province. It's kind of popular there to eat like exotic animals, such as monkey or some other exotic animals. I have never tried them, but I do know that people who tried them actually died from it. Yeah. It was another Japanese friend I knew. I heard of. I, I, I never knew this guy. Obviously, he went to Canton as an exchange student. So he has like a host family. And this host family is very, very nice to him. They invited him to eat monkey. And they, it, it, I guess in Canton culture, it's regarded as the highest level of respect and hospitality if you invite if you invite someone to eat exotic animal it, it it is actually very very expensive yeah but he is from japan and all he eat is some sushi fish or like a japanese food yeah. he has never tried this i don't think he has the same immune system or the same digestive system yeah. as chinese people especially people from canton province yeah he went back to japan there was a very, very serious infection in his stomach. Throughout the whole stomach, the doctor was mainly telling him there's nothing we can do, and he died. He was just a college student mm. in his early 20s, and he died from this. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely recommend don't try anything exotic that your system is unfamiliar with. Yeah. Um, if you're not used to eating raw things, don't eat anything raw. Um you know, I think if you're, I think you're playing Russian roulette if you're really going to a wet market and trying different things, um, because the next pandemic could be lurking there. And if it's not a pandemic, maybe it's something that just makes individually you sick and infects your stomach and kills you and yeah. ends up infecting your whole body. So, um, yeah, definitely, um, just try to go to more regulated, more professional um, storefronts, mm -hmm. which get their supplies ordered from trucks. From factories, it's definitely a, it's definitely a more safe route to go. Yeah, I guess um, that would be like supermarkets in China. Don't go to the uh, open meat market because mm. we do have a lot of the open meat market in China, but we also have the meat market in the uh, supermarket, and they are more regulated yeah. with everything behind the glass and uh, people wearing masks and stuff. So, yeah, I guess in China's case, just Go to the supermarket and buy your meat there. Um, so, yeah, and always remember to wash your board with uh, kitchen soap after you use it. No matter what kind of meat you, add, you, you just chopped, just wash it before you use it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, even vegetables <clears throat> in the field can be contaminated with E. coli because a lot of times there's animal contaminations in the vegetable fields on lettuce and things, for example. So E. coli can get on the... Uh, American food chain Chipotle had an outbreak of E. coli on their lettuce. So, you know, you really have to just wash your hands all the time and wash everything. And then if vegetables, if you are going to eat them cold, I've heard that um, rinsing them in vinegar kills a lot of bacteria. Mm -hmm. So that's always a good thing, using a lot of rice vinegar or apple, apple vinegar. or um, Yeah, there's a lot of different food practices to um, 
to use when to utilize when preventing uh, foodborne illness. Okay. Well, I guess yeah, that's that's where we have to. That, that's where we want to talk about today for now, and we shall call it a day. Thank you very much, kids, for all of your suggestions concerning food safety and your personal biased opinions on the politics and your presidents and the minority groups in the United States. And we definitely welcome you back to our next episode. What are we going to talk about in our next episode, though? Um. Well, because you definitely mentioned that in your high school you guys have the uh food safety or nutrition class maybe we can start from there okay and i i am also reading a very interesting book recently called thinking fast and slow and it mainly talks about the intuitive and the rational thoughts that functions in different ways in people's mind and uh Kids, you are also very interested in the genetic influences on people, uh, whether it's natural or it's nature that determines your life in a more fundamental way. I guess there are a lot of things we can talk about in our next episode, but today let's just say goodbye for now. Okay, see you guys next time. <laughs>